Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Loy. I'm the host of this show, and today I've got Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress with me as we'll cover a lot of different things in the sports world. Big Ten producing their 2024 conference schedule in about a half hour. We'll break down the protected rivalries, which are already getting reported on, but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show of course this one week ahead of when the sec will announce their 2024 schedule so we'll have some college football discussion as always we'll do a little recap of game five uh game three of the nba finals last night between denver nuggets and miami heat also some other sports topics want to hit on uh, maybe uh, Lionel Messi's move didn't get to hit on that yesterday. Just how impactful that is in the sports world. If we've seen other things quite like that, uh, and uh, of course your phone calls on the Auburn Make phone line at three three four eight eight seven thirty four one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. A player of the week will be announced at four thirty. Birthdays and sports nightly TV guide as well. Ryan Brooks and Brant with me here today. I guess I'm with myself is what I just said. But uh, Ryan, Brooks, and Brant on the show today. Brant, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. We've had a lively day around the office, and that's always a good time. So uh, happy to be there uh, and happy to be back on the show. Like you said, probably the, the biggest news in the sports world revolves around soccer, so I don't know how much we'll get into it. But uh, I'd love to get dive into that and what it means for the sport uh, here. But uh, obviously the college football scheduling and the Big Ten announcing their stuff today, uh, the SEC moving it to next week. Um, we've got – Recruiting visits going on right now for football. We've got uh, some basketball stuff being finalized, some recruiting news in basketball. Uh, so a bunch of stuff to go over. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on other things as we keep going. So happy Thursday. Let's get into it. Brooks Childress with me on the show as well. Brooks, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It is a, it's a wonderful day on the plains. Can't wait to get to all of our callers and uh, chat with them, as whatever they want to talk about as we, we roll along in the show. Braves. Uh, beat Max Scherzer last night. How about that? Got uh, took two out of three so far from the Mets. Looked for the sweep tonight, but it's going to be a tough hill to climb as they got Justin Verlander going against them uh, on the Mets side of things. So it, it's pretty pretty deadly when you've got back to back pitchers of Scherzer and uh, and and Justin Verlander. But obviously the Braves uh, were able to chip away and get a win last night. So. Uh, really, really a fun uh, Braves bounce back here after uh, a kind of a slump last week, uh, a mini slump last week, dropping two out of three to the Athletics, and so really excited about that. We'll t- I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that coming up, and then uh, yeah, we keep rolling on in the sports world. Not, not a lot happening, but it's um, it, what what is happening is kind of is, is fun. And yeah, we we keep getting news out. You know, different different aspects of who may come to visit Auburn football in the in the coming weeks. Who may uh, what Auburn basketball is doing? Starting to see a few uh, transfers trickle in for for Auburn baseball side of things. So you got a got a pitcher from UAB in the transfer portal today, and so it, it's uh, it's 
looking, you know, we're we're already less than a weekend. We're already in the heart of the off season, so it, it's it's a fun time with a sports call. Yeah, it happens uh, pretty quickly where you go from having stuff to look forward to, having uh, Auburn events to look forward to, and then just like that, it's gone. Obviously, the the NCAA tournament continues starting tomorrow or tomorrow with the Super Regionals, and then uh, we've seen, uh, obviously, softball progress into the College World Series where Oklahoma won game one against Florida State last night. Uh, I want to start with one Auburn thing. This is kind of the, I guess, the most relevant Auburn thing of the day. Uh, with football, they're having a seven-on-seven uh, camp at uh, Auburn's practice facility today. We've seen wide receiver target Cam Coleman make some touchdown grabs in that. Um, Auburn is having a big recruiting weekend. We went over some of those guys earlier this weekend. They've got uh, five or six four-star players coming uh, this weekend. They've also got uh, a couple offensive linemen, which is something that uh, Auburn has obviously been trying to work on uh, maybe more than any different or any one position just as a whole. Uh, but again, the guys, Demarcus Riddick, who that's the, uh, the the Georgia commit, that's top 50 player, Jalen Crawford, Daniel Hill, Caleb Holmes, Kinsley Faustin, Cohen Eccles, all coming on campus uh, this weekend and on top of Cam Coleman. So guys, the recruiting momentum tries to continue. Also, word today, I uh, saw that uh, you know Steve mentioned the other day season ticket prices going up. However, Auburn is about 5,000 season tickets ahead of schedule from what they were last year. So obviously that excitement now translating into tickets being bought too. So again, I, I know we don't go pr- too deep into any particular recruit or, or that sort of thing, especially not till they come to Auburn. But again, just in general, guys, the momentum continuing uh, without – Auburn football even even playing a game both in the ticket market and uh, with more recruiting visits here this summer. Yeah, the the publicity has been good. The excitement is there uh, purely because you've recruited well. Um, and you know, you I, I've said before, you can lose with good players, but you surely cannot win without them. So you you need them to win. And uh, getting good players is the first step in building a good program. So uh, you're you're moving in the right direction at least on that front. So. Uh, hopefully that continues for sure. Yeah, it, it's you know you, you get different uh, when you start getting excitement around the program. Season tickets are going, sales are going to go up, and it, it's really exciting. It's an exciting time. Uh, Hugh Freeze continues to uh, to build a good uh, atmosphere around this program. Some things that fans start to get si- excited about uh, in in Auburn football. Uh, hoping that you know, we, especially when you've seen the, the recruits that are on campus or recruits that you, you've signed have, you know, been better than what the, the fan base has seen the last few years with uh, Brian Harson, And so you're, you're starting to see a little bit more excitement around the fan base and, and you know, hope that, you know, maybe, you know, it, and, and I think there's an understanding that, that you know, you're, you may not have the big turnaround like you did with uh, from Gene Chizik to Gus Malzahn where you went from, you know, three, you know, three, four wins to, oh my gosh, we're playing for, an, for a national title. But you can start to see the wheels turning in the right direction. You can start to see everything starting to, the, the ship starting to ride itself. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun time uh, if you're an Auburn fan and, you know, you, you get these kids on campus for these seven on seven camps, like, like you were talking about, it's, it's another chance for uh, players to, if they're not on Auburn's radar, to get on Auburn's radar because you, you watch them, you know the, the coaches get to get to see what's going on over there. Um, it, they may not be right there on the field with them, but you know they're sitting in their offices looking out on the practice fields. They're they're definitely taking things in, and then 
you know, if, if you are on Auburn's radar, you get to come and you get to play on, you know, in the facilities and get to practice in the facilities that you would you maybe get to if, if you came to Auburn. And, and that's hands-on, you know, get hands-on experience instead of just getting shown around like, oh, this is the weight room. This is the practice fields. You actually get to get on them and see, you know, okay, this is this is nice. Maybe maybe I can uh, can see myself here in a couple years. And, of course, with the recruiting landscape, uh, this on the heels of just yesterday uh, with uh, an Auburn contingency headed to Capitol Hill uh, in Washington, D.C., and having um, the really the entire conference starting to try and, and lobby and work on some sort of NIL legislation, uh, something that Tommy Tuberville has talked a lot about. We talked about how when you, uh, when you're, I think it's you, Brooks, that, that said this, when you're having to ask for Congress to help, uh, that's like a serious last resort because everything moves slowly there, but it's also obviously yeah. very serious there. Um, but, but an Auburn contingency went up there yesterday. It's kind of unclear. I, I know Nick Saban was up there. It's kind of unclear if there's a unified... Uh, ask other than please set some some guidelines like I, I don't know if every coach or every administration or if there's even a majority wanting one particular thing other than just some guidance yeah in your mind how long will it take to get some guidance if you had to pull together some sort of wild guess how long will we be talking about the lack of of a rule or guidance here in, Congress is involved, so it may be forever. <laughs> it, you know, political jokes aside, um, I don't think the current model of NIL is sustainable, where fans are donating to collectives and collectives are paying players to come play for certain schools. I don't know how much longer that has. Uh, I, I honestly don't think that it's going to last more than three or four more years. I, I think that players being paid is a good thing, but I don't think that the money coming from collectives and being used as a recruiting tool I don't think they're going to let that happen much longer. And I, and I think it's one, one thing, you know, and not to go political on it, but I think this is something that both uh, sides of the political aisle can get behind because, uh, you know, you, you look at things, you know, you, you want it to be, you, you want this to be regulated, but you, you want it to, you know, it, it affects college football, which is uh, you know a lot of people care a lot about college football. You've you've got a, co- a former college football coach as one of the U.S. senators for the state of Alabama, so a lot of people care about college football, and I think that's going to be a really big driving force uh, behind getting something done. So I wouldn't say it's it's too much longer. You know, maybe maybe a couple years. You're still you know wrangling with with the current NIL situation before Congress gets involved, but you know it, agendas change. And, you know, landscapes, political landscapes change by, you know, sometimes by the day. And so you never really, really know when, when things are going to get done. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think if, if they were, if, you know, they're successful in, in getting Congress to do something about it, it won't be, you know, about a couple more years uh, that you're looking at the, how NIL currently is set up without any sort of government regulations. You're, you're going to see something come down because the, I, I believe, uh, the the NCAA president uh, just made a statement like not too long ago that said, "Hey, we we want congressional uh, congressional help on this." So that's the second NCAA president in a row to say that. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I ask because I, I genuinely uh, don't have a good feel for how, how long this could end up being. Where uh, 
it's again, I'm sure that there are some things being discussed privately, which are more concrete or, or more of a uh, of a we'd like to see this or this, that sort of thing. But certainly not a lot of reporting on what uh, the preferences have been. Certainly heard some coaches at media days or in other public forums uh, say maybe their desires in the past. But again, not a, like a unified message other than they want something to go on. And so in this current state, we've obviously got uh, a lot of different things going on where um, there, there's uh, big numbers being thrown out there and alleged tampering and just a lot of different things that are uh, not great overall for the sport, honestly. And and uh, hopefully uh, there will be some sort of rule or regulation at some point. But until now, everyone's trying to take advantage of it the best that they can. We're going to go to our first timeout of the show on the other side, birthdays and sports. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call and Tiger 95.9. to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au i'm deshaun davis former auburn tigers football player and all sec linebacker you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 Call on this Thursday, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here. Uh, just looks like we've got the entire Big Ten schedule leaked, which I'm sure the Big Ten is just thrilled about. So, uh, thank you, Adam Rittenberg, uh, who did that. He just took a, a, a picture of basically the entire board that they've got for 2024 and 2025. So we will be going over a little bit of the Big Ten schedule a little bit later, of course. Why is this significant? No, we, we we don't usually just go on pins and needles to find out when Northwestern is going to play Rutgers. But uh, this will be the first year that USC. And we still don't know because uh, they don't put date. They're not putting dates on. It. Right. They're just saying here's the here's the dates. Right. But uh, this will be the first year that USC and UCLA will be in the Big Ten, and so that's why we will give you some of the key matchups in 2024 from the Big Ten schedule release today. But before we continue on in Sports Call on this Thursday, let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports is presented by Max Credit Union. With two convenient locations to serve you, one location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Opelika, the Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Troy Vincent turns 53 today, former cornerback and a five-time pro bowler. 
first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro, was drafted seventh overall by the Miami Dolphins in 1992 out of Wisconsin. Go Badges. He was an All-American at Wisconsin, inducted into the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame, was also on the Eagles' 75th anniversary team, ended his career with 794 tackles and 47 interceptions, was also a Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner. Troy Vincent turns 53 today. Good defensive man. Mitchell Schwartz turns 34, Super Bowl champion and first-team All-Pro. He was three-time second-team All-Pro and a second-round second round pick out of Cal. Go Bears. He started in all 134 career games that he played, and including uh, over 120 consecutive games, and had 7,894 consecutive snaps on the field. Mitchell Schwartz turns 34 today. Anthony Simons turns 24, currently plays for the Portland Trailblazers, was drafted in the first round in 2018. Simons had his best season this year, averaging 21 points and four assists. He is named Anthony Penny. Uh, he's named after, uh, he's not named. He's named after Anthony Penny Hardaway. Simons re-signed with Trailblazers on a four-year, $100 million contract uh, this past year. Anthony Simons turns 24 today. And Don Robinson turns 66. Robinson is a World Series champion and three-time Silver Slugger Award winner. Played for four teams. His longest tenure team was the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ended his career with a 3.79 ERA and 1,251 strikeouts. He hit 13 home runs in his career as a pitcher and compiled a 231 batting average. Don Robinson turns 66 today. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union, Troy Vincent, 53, Mitchell Schwartz, 34, Anthony Simons, 24, and Don Robinson, 66. All right. It's a fun well, list of birthdays today. Yeah. I uh, had a couple football guys on there, had a baseball and a basketball guy on there, covered the, the three, three major sports there. All right, so a, a different topic than what we usually have on the show. Uh, we, even though we do have MLS supporters in here, Brant is a Atlanta United guy, and, and Brooks is all, since I've known him, been a Seattle Sounders guy. Rafe Green. Uh, there is very relevant and pertinent MLS news uh, breaking yesterday, um, and probably still breaking if you go on the ESPN Sports Center. Yeah. Um, Lionel Messi going to Inter Miami. Uh, this is. Um, probably the biggest thing to ever happen for the MLS and for American soccer. I, I, I mean, outside of the United States men's national team doing something significant in a World Cup, I, I don't know what could be a bigger deal here in the United States. I mean, this is one of the two players that have been in a generational debate, him and Cristiano Ronaldo, for the last decade and a half. And this guy is coming to the United States to play in the MLS. What was your first reaction when you heard about this? And then can you imagine how much money people are going to pay <laughs> to see Inter Miami in the next couple of years? We don't well, have to imagine. I, I have a, a little bit of a scale here. Just for fun, I looked up ticket prices for Atlanta United's uh, remainder of their scheduled of their season. Um, the second most expensive ticket that I can find uh, is $35. That is when Orlando that it comes to Atlanta – that's a derby, that's a rivalry, so it makes sense that that's an expensive ticket. Uh, when Miami comes to Atlanta in September, the cheapest ticket at that to that game is $242. Dang. So over $200 more expensive uh, just because Lionel Messi is coming to, to play for Miami. This is arguably the greatest player of all time 
coming to an American league. Um, and in a sport that America is certainly behind in, uh, the, the fan base is not nearly as established as it is for the other major sports like football and hockey and basketball and, and, and baseball for sure. Um, this is incredibly massive for the MLS. I, I know I don't know if it'll get more Americans involved. I think it will. I think more Americans will pay attention to MLS because you've got a guy. I know he's 35, but he still he still plays well enough. He just won basically MVP of the World Cup uh, last year. So this is a guy coming in who's not in his prime, but is still very very good. Um, coming to coming to America in a sport that America is not super used to. Every country in the world that is not America is now going to pay attention to MLS because of this. This is going to be so huge for the league. It was David Beckham back in the early 2000s, then Zlatan Ibrahimovic a couple of years ago. Beckham and Zlatan were two really big names, but they were never in contention for greatest player ever. Lionel Messi just kind of cemented his argument when he won the World Cup last year, and now he's coming to play for Miami. This is absolutely huge for the league, for the sport in this country, for the sports eyes in the rest of the world, where the MLS is kind of looked down on. This is a really big deal. And my, my biggest complaint, I think, with MLS has always been, well, the best players are trying to leave. They want to go play in Europe, where the competition is better, where the trophies are bigger, where you make more money. You're having a guy saying he turned down over a billion dollars to go play in Saudi Arabia, to come play for Miami. We don't know what his final contract is going to be, but he said no to $1 billion to come play in America, and that's a really big deal. It, I mean, you, know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, is, it is one of the biggest moments in U.S. soccer history that it, uh, a, a player of Messi's magnitude is coming to play. We, you, you mentioned you had uh, David Beckham come and play for a while. You had Zlatan Ibrahimovic come and play for a little bit. Um, and you had Pele came the he, Pele, was, yeah. he was probably on Pre, the pre MLS uh, on the same level he went you know, yeah he went and played for the uh, the New York Cosmos uh, before MLS was a thing and so you've had big names here before but you've never had you know it, it this is it's finally a point where you look at all the other US you know sports that are based in the US or not based but like have US leagues the you know the um, American football goat is you know was Joe Montana arguably now I think it's definitive Tom Brady goat of American football they played there they played in America goat of basketball Michael Jordan some people would argue LeBron James you know but Michael entire Jordan, career in America but he played in America the the goat of hockey which is a na- which is an international sport uh, was uh, Wayne was Wayne Gretzky arguably arguably Wayne Gretzky played his time. In, in, in the American-based league, uh, the NHL. And so you're finally getting a, the sport. You're, you're finally getting a, a, the, a, a player that is on the, in the GOAT conversation of greatest of all time playing in America for soccer. Because I think that's been a problem with, with soccer in America is there, uh, soccer in America has always been a second- to third-tier sport because America has never had – the it's never been the league yeah. it's the best NFL, player the best american athletes play football or basketball or baseball everybody wants to play football in the nfl everybody wants to play basketball in the nba everybody wants to play hockey in the nhl 
and everybody wants to play baseball in the MLB. That's where you want to play. And nobody has ever said, oh, I want to play soccer in America for the MLS. It's always, I want to play for La Liga or Bundesliga or Premier League, the the, the big big uh, big clubs in Europe. Well, he did his time there, and now he's he said, I want to come play in America. Now, it was an easy move to go to Miami. Um, not that turning down a billion, you know, over a billion dollars was an easy move, but he's already got a house in Miami. Uh, and so it, it's an easier move to, to go there instead of setting up camp in, in Saudi Arabia, even though you'd be able to set up camp pretty well, pretty quickly with over a billion dollars. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's a big moment. Uh, it, it is already, you know, I, I saw someone describe it as the Taylor Swift effect to the tickets because I, I looked, you know, you, you brought up the, the ticket prices in Atlanta I looked it up. Some of the premium tickets in, in Atlanta are going for ten thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, three thousand. Like you to, to sit in really good seats in Atlanta. Yeah, that that two hundred and fifty dollar ticket was the cheapest one yeah. available. And they they Atlanta. You you mentioned yesterday Atlanta even said like they don't usually open up the entirety of Mercedes Benz for a soccer match. It's got to be some of the biggest soccer matches. Like Premier League's going to be there in the middle of July or late July for two matches. They're opening up the entire stadium. But typically for an MLS match with Atlanta United, they've got the first like two to three tiers open. The the top deck is they they drop a curtain down. Yeah. They don't have those seats available. They've opened it up. They're saying we're letting, we're going to sell those tickets, and all those are basically already sold out, and people are reselling them for two three hundred dollars a piece. And so it is it's a massive move. It's it's going to be massive for the game of soccer because. People and, and it's like you said, it, it may you know it may not draw in new people to the sport, but people that were in the U.S. that were you know that kind of turned their noses up to MLS and were like, oh, I'm going to watch La Liga and I'm going to watch the Premier League. I'm not going to watch this trash MLS. Well, now the best player from there is over here, and you're going to go see that player because anytime he came and play in America in in an international competition, venues are sold out to see Messi, and so. It, it's it's huge. It is it's a huge moment for U.S. soccer, and it, it's a you know it, it's hopefully you know when when you look at the future of the sport, kids getting to go see Messi play in person more often will get them more excited to play soccer and help grow the game in 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 America and, and can help the the whole of U.S. soccer get on a better footing with in in the world. I believe on Tuesday, Enter Miami had one million followers on Instagram. Since the announce, since the announcement that they were signing Little Messi, they have climbed to six million. So, oh, is that all? Yeah. So <laughs> five million people, and that's just on Instagram. And I, I know that social media is not entirely indicative, but man, it, it is incredible what this guy. And again, I I know we're in America, a country that doesn't care about soccer too much, but you've got to look at this from a world view. Yeah. Every country other than America plays soccer, and most of them play only soccer yeah and now you have are for i in my opinion he is the greatest soccer player of all time coming to play for miami well that's a massive thing well so he is going to get one of the things in his contract he's going to get a share of new subscriptions to whatever it's on apple mls mls uh, season pass mls season pass he's gonna get a share of that and I can't think of a more deserving part of like a of a different kind of deal of contract because there's going to be millions, not hundreds of thousands, millions mm-hmm. of people around the world that right now are like, well, how am I going to watch that guy? I got to watch him. He's only got a few years left. I'm going to have to watch him. So how am I going to how am I going to figure this out? 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for whatever service America's got, whatever that whatever that little piddly piddly league is. Mm-hmm. They're probably thinking um, they're going to be such a rush of new subscriptions into that. You know, we talk a lot on this show about r- media rights here and in this country for for particularly college athletics because we've talked about the travails of the Pac-12 and how their streaming only model is not really going to move many people's needle if that ends up happening. But this is a needle-moving exercise. The MLS has to be licking their chops. Apple must be licking their chops Mm -hmm. because they could not have gotten a bigger needle-moving thing than Lionel Messi to come to the U.S. The other part of this, too, is whether you're a Messi-Ronaldo person, which I think more people are now Messi Messi people, especially after the World Cup. Either way, Messi is the better option for America right now because he's got a couple more years in the bank. Ronaldo's a couple years older. He's a little, little closer to the cliff than Messi is. Messi is not far removed from some of his best days. He was just excellent in the World Cup, for, for example. Uh, so he's got more to give. It's not like he's going to go run out there in July or August, September, whenever he makes his debut, and just look like a shell of himself from day one. He's going to have some time. He's not his prime. I'm not arguing that. But he's still going to have a couple years here where he's going to have plenty of the stuff that you've all known and loved for the last decade and a half. And so you're getting a Messi that is not as diminished as what you would have gotten out of Ronaldo or or maybe some other great player, even something like Ibrahimovic from a couple years ago. Like that was a, that was like a 38 or so year old, I think Zlatan. And obviously, he's still as big as he is. He's still not messy. So you are getting the best of both worlds because it's not practical yet to get a 30-year-old guy of, of a top five or ten tier status in the world to come play MLS yet. But what they've gotten is someone that still has something in the tank that is the biggest global star uh, coming to the MLS. And so, look... I don't remember. I was a little young, and I certainly did not follow soccer at all at that point. When when Beckham came over here, I certainly remember it made waves, and it really helped the Galaxy for a while, uh, the club that which he played for. But I don't know really long term if it did much for MLS. It'll be interesting to see if this could do something. I'm not going to overreach. I'm not going to say that in ten years the MLS will look vastly different than it is now because I truly don't know. But in the short term, it is going to be an influx of interest, of which they the sport's never seen before. Uh, you see that in the ticket prices, which is, a, a, again, a fun exercise. Man, if you if you have tickets to any Inter-Miami game, just stumbled upon them already, uh, you can sell them for 10, 20 times their value. Uh, <laughs> so you can make a pretty penny, or, of course, you can witness some history. But, um, again, this is a... Huge deal for the MLS and good. I mean, I, I soccer is not my cup of tea. I watch so many different sports. The only time that I get really invested into soccer is either United States in the World Cup or in a international tournament. And sometimes when Everton's not like dead last in the table, fighting off relegation, some matches I'll watch a, a, a good portion of. But that being said, I, I don't think you can have too much of a good thing. And 
to have another opportunity for another sport here in America to grow. When, as you guys say, I mean, it is the global leader. You know, I mean, it, it, as much as we love the Shield, we love the NFL, you know, the NFL is trying to, that's why they're, they're doing these, these Germany games and these different country games. They're trying to drum up interest in other countries. But the reality is you go overseas, and in most countries, they're either not going to know what the NFL even is, or they're like, oh, is that that American uh, pigskin league? If they even say the word pigskin, oh, who cares? I mean, that, that's what they're going to say overseas. And so we're kind of the inverse of that. We're relatively speaking. We're like, oh, soccer? Eh, whatever. That's, that's for Europe. That's for Europe. Well, now Europe is going to be watching American soccer uh, because of Messi, because of Inter Miami. Uh, you guys having f- uh, Fanships, and by the way, I've seen hilarious Big Ten things, which I can't wait to point out in the four o'clock hour. But I'm <laughs> going to save it for the four o'clock hour. Um, what What are you hoping Inter Miami becomes this next couple of years? Do you want it to win the league? Do you want it to not win the league? Do you think that it has an impact how successful they are on on the league, or is this just going to carry its own weight for the extent of its time? I think that. While Messi is there, they're going to have a chance to win every game they play because they will have the best player in the league. I, Messi, like you said, I think he's 34, 35, not in his prime anymore, but still certainly has it. Like I said, one MVP of the World or most outstanding player, player of the tournament, whatever award it is for the World Cup, he won it. Um, so, so he's still really good. He's still a world-class soccer player. So I think that he's going to give them a chance to win every match they play in. I think I saw their odds. It's kind of funny. They're dead last in the East right now. They are at the bottom of the Eastern table. Um, I think I saw their odds to win MLS Cup because the transfer window opens a month from yesterday. That is when all the moves will be made uh, in, in soccer. So he can come in on July, what is it, July 7th. Is It will be his first available, I think, his first available day for um, – for Inter Miami, I think I saw their odds to win MLS Cup went from of the 30 teams in the MLS, I think 28th best to now 10th best immediately after that move that a move was announced. So, absolutely, it, it improves their odds for him. I'm interested to see what it does for the league long term because to me, it's kind of similar to when a company goes public. You start selling stocks, right? You start selling shares in your company. <clears throat> to gain this influx of cash. MLS is about to see a major influx in cash. And we talk about it all the time. What makes the world go around? Money makes the world go around. So when you have this major influx of money, what can you do with it? And I think, I know you said you weren't going to project 10 years out. I really think that this could be a move. If the MLS plays its cards right, you could see them close the gap between the MLS and the Premier League and Bundesliga and La Liga and, and all those European leagues that people look to for, for big-time soccer. So I think this is a move that will defect, will affect Inter-Miami immediately. And down the road, we might look back at this at the MLS and think this was a watershed moment. I, I want to throw out a scenario for you. Um, I like scenarios. Who remembers a couple years ago? Who, who remembers... Uh, uh, Wayne Rooney joined MLS a couple years ago. Yep, DC big, United. Big, yep, yeah. Did did we remember that he's now the manager there? No, no, didn't know that. That's what could happen 
if you have a star that comes, and I know Wayne Rooney's not on the same level as Messi. Let me let me point that out first. But if you have a when you have a star that comes over, and people get excited about it, and then does not live up to the expectations because soccer is still the third tier, it can drop quick, and you mm-hmm. can forget that somebody is over here quick. Um, I think that Messi is going to help. Um, is going to help Inter Miami get into a more competitive uh, competitive space because, like you said, Brant, it's it's going to be a it, it it's the best player. He's uh, our, the best player in the league is going to be on that team. Um, we have seen though teams in other sports that have a brilliant player, great player, all time great, and there's nothing else around them, and it doesn't go well. Absolutely, we saw LeBron leave Cleveland. The first time because he was a great player and there really wasn't a lot around him. And he's like, I'm going to go play somewhere where I can get, you know, get rings. What I hope doesn't happen is Messi comes over, plays two or three years and is like, all right, I'm done. Because that will continue to run the narrative that is around the rest of the world that it MLS is a development league where we just pick off their best talent. And then it's a retirement league because that David Beckham came over here retired. Zlatan was different. He came over and then went back over and played in Europe for a little bit longer. But still, everybody, when he came over, everyone's like, oh, he's on the back end of his deal. He's on the back end. I mean, he's, he said as much when, so, when he was in L.A. And so it's, you know, I, 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 I hope that this, you know, I hope, like I said, I hope this builds the, the profile of U.S. soccer. I think the main thing for US, for MLS right now is not to even, and, and I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the boldness of going – MLS could compete with the Premier League, Brant. Right, but, and I, I'm, I'm not compete, but close the gap. But I think the thing is, is if you're MLS, you have to focus on your direct rivals, which is Liga MX, because you know you can look at the Premier League and say, oh, you know, we want to be like them, but you've got to take that steps at a time. You can't even, you know, most of the time you can't even win the competitions with your neighbors, which is yeah. Liga MX. LAFC, who won MLS Cup last year, could not beat uh, Club Leon, Club Leon, which which was like a third or fourth level, uh, not level, but like the third or fourth best team in in Liga MX for the Champions League this year. And it, it's you you need to raise your own profile past your direct rivals, and then sh- keep shooting up as, and trying to move up. I, I just don't. I, I I want Messi to come over and help raise the the profile of U.S. soccer, and I don't want it to be a Oh, he's just here, kind of you know, running around, you know, chilling out his last couple and making of years. Some money, yeah, sipping some coolers on on South Beach. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I, I think it's worth pointing out. We've talked about David Beckham coming over and joining. Was he LA Galaxy or LAFC? LA Galaxy. He was Galaxy. Yeah, LAFC is more recent yeah. as right. last few years. Right. I, I remember him coming over and joining LA Galaxy. I think it's worth pointing out that he is now a part owner of Inter Miami. Yes. So that's I, I think that had a big deal. That was a big part of recruiting Messi. Yeah, look, market size, again, I love sports business. I can nerd out over it. Market size has meant less and less uh, as we've evolved, as we've gone through the years, and now society just gets large as a whole. It used to matter in the 70s and 80s that you'd want to be in a big market because you get on TV a lot. There's a vast difference in, in publicity. You, you, you can kind of fly under the radar, which a lot of guys didn't want because they wanted to get their name out there. They wanted to be big deals. So they wanted to be in the huge markets. 
So, like, you didn't want to be caught in a place like Milwaukee or something if you're in the NBA. It's why Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, also at that time, Lou Alcindor, was like, became a Laker. And how some of these things happen in the NBA where guys would move on from small markets to big markets because it's just what you needed to do to be huge publicity. So that dynamic is kind of eroded and in, in, in a lot of American professional sports because all the markets are big and society is such to where everyone knows everything, no matter if you are in Minnesota or Miami. doesn't matter. Um, however, the one thing that it could still be true with, I think, would be international soccer coming to the U.S. I absolutely think market size still matters in that realm. Messi would have had no interest in Minnesota United. He would have had no interest in um, New England Revolution or Columbus Crew. Just would not have had interest in there. There's interest because Miami is a uh, destination city to live, to have a luxurious life. This is why Los Angeles was the first rendition of that for some guys going over and still is. But you market still matters for these people. What will really tell me the needle has actually permanently moved, not just temporarily, is if someone of European stature goes to a team with some time left in in one of these situations. I know Rooney did go to DC United and that in some ways does not fit what I'm what I'm talking about, although Washington DC is a is a it's definitely a big media market. It's not necessarily a destination city unless you are trying to be a politician. Um, so that is a little different. Um, and but I, but I'm referring to someone that actually has a few years left of a career that has not waned. No pun intended. Wayne Rooney has not waned in skill to the level that he had. Yeah, a, a guy who's. 28, 29 rather than 35. Right, right. Yeah. Or, or even someone that is still close to their prime, even if it is into their 30s. Right. Once that happens, and it happens multiple times, then you can point to MLS as that is one of the conditions that has officially moved a long-term needle. So my last question is, before we run out of time, what needs to happen out of this to make it long-term? Like Because... In my mind, if Messi comes and scores a goal a game and dominates and the team ends up winning, it's just going to further the narrative that this is the this is the double or triple A of soccer leagues. If you want to rack some stats up, go ahead, but it's not a, a serious league. But also it would seem uh, rough if he did not have any success because then it would be like, man, this has been a great disappointment. And it feels like because it's a one-off, it's like, wow, man, don't – I mean, I guess Messi just fell completely apart. It, it feels like maybe not any credit would be given to the league. It would all be, well, Messi actually was at the end of the line. You see what I'm saying? So so what what would be in the best interest of the league long-term to happen here? I think personally, I am, and I'm going to use my experience with my own team here, Atlanta has the other Argentine World Cup winner. Uh, on its team in Tiago Almada. And he probably is the front runner for the MVP as things stand right now is Tiago. He's I think he's 21. He's one of the best players in MLS, um, probably moving to Europe either in the summer or after the season. So Tiago, like I said, he's probably the front runner for the MVP, but Atlanta is still struggling sometimes. 
but he still goes in there and does his thing and is very often the best player on the field. And I think that's what Messi needs to do. He needs to come in here. He needs to score some spectacular goals, be a really good player, and compete for an MVP, and Miami still needs to not run away with it. He cannot come in here and just win the thing by himself. Because I, like you said, you don't want him to come in here and just be far and away better than the competition, but you still want to intrigue people. You still want to say, hey, Messi's still really good and he's playing here, but also the rest of our players can keep up with him. I don't know how well that's going to work. I was talking to Brooks kind of offhand uh, when the announcement was made, and I thought, you know, I look at Atlanta's center backs, uh, Miles Robinson and Juanio Parada. Robinson's pretty good. He's probably going to Europe after this after this season. But Juanio Parada, I'm, I'm terrified to think of <laughs> Lionel Messi working on Juanio Parada and Franco Ibarra and other Atlanta players. And I'm going, man, I don't think they can keep up with him. But if they come in here and most midfields can keep up with Messi and they can keep him from scoring a hat trick a game that prove that the MLS, while Messi is still great and still the best player, he is not dominating more than he would if he was still in France or if he went back to Barcelona. Um, Cause he, tur- he did turn down a deal to go back to Barcelona uh, uh, because Barcelona would have had to reduce pay for other players and he didn't want to make them do that. So if he can come in here, still be really good, but other teams still compete with Miami, then I think that would be the best thing for MLS. Only got one quick second here, Brooks. So go ahead. Really All right. quick. I think the big one, uh, a thing that could uh, t- could be very beneficial for the MLS is Messi comes over here, is competitive, and attracts other big names to come with him. Not just to enter Miami, but it tell you know it, it kind of signals to other big names in Europe and around the world that says. This is a league you can come and you can thrive in and you can play and you can compete for championships if you come over here. Yeah, I I think that part of it too would be important. Can he get some people, not necessarily to stack up a team to win, ruin it, or not ruin, but rule everything, uh, but uh, can get some other guys. We'll see. Uh, but it is fascinating news that Lionel Messi joining uh, Miami's club, Inter Miami, and uh, going to, I, I don't know the start date for sure, but July, August, sometime and there will be playing in Major League Soccer. We are out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, going to talk about the Big Ten schedule reveal, what they're calling their new schedule model is fun. We'll talk about that and more next. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. 
Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, or the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brent Daughtry with you here on this sunny Thursday afternoon as we continue on with the show now. Had a good long conversation, probably our uh, record-breaking long soccer conversation in hour <laughs> number one. That on the heels of having a record-breakingly long uh, golf conversation the other t- other two days. So we're hitting all the different notes here uh, in the summertime. But let's go back to something a little more familiar, and that is college football. As the Big Ten has released their 2024 schedule. So again, this is not like three months from now. We already known that for a long time. And we don't have dates with this. Okay, so we can't tell you you're going to have like a murderer's row of of this, this, and this in consecutive weeks. We don't have that either. But what we do have is the opponents for 2024 and 2025. And I teased before break, the Big Ten has a special name for this. Don't they always? Remember when they had the Leaders and Legends division titles? They had the alliance with all their uh, right. friends. They, they like to put, uh, put names titles. on things. Yeah, put titles out there. So they're calling this... The Flex Protect Plus model, which sounds like a car wash option, I was gonna or say, a insurance plan. Yeah, Pe- I Peter thought Burns, insurance. Peter Burns said on Twitter, it's it's something that the used car salesman try to add on to the end of your your purchase. <laughs> uh, I just when I hear like Flex Protect Plus, I could think like I don't know, sh- shine my tires and and uh, give me like a nice shield of uh, of of clean that's going to protect me or it could be insurance i it's the new ford f-150 with flex protect plus (laughs) what you need it (laughs) i mean it's just i don't know why they have to slap these names on things but all right so the moral of this story is this is that teams have uh certain opponents that are guaranteed to them every year, including these two years. And they've got teams that just so happen to shake out in both 24 and 25, but will not be permanent every single year. Uh, and trying to color code this is something else. And I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out on the fly so that I don't misinform the populace. But, uh, well, it's the Big Ten, so... Right. Well, you know. I, There's something about the delivery of so I don't misinform you, the populace, that really tickled me. I mean, I just, you know, I I, I don't want to lead anyone astray. This See, is important. This is football. The thing is, Ryan, when next week when the SEC says this is our schedule for next year and they see how the Big Ten sees how simple the SEC makes it, they're going to be like, well... We're actually going to abandon the Flex Protect Plus, and we're going to go to the deluxe scheduling model, which you get to pick your opponents out of a hat for the rest of the year. It's a pick a platter of opponents. Yeah. Pick three. I, I at, might actually one like side. that. You have one or two protected games, and the rest you just draw. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, in each conference, it's like for the Big Ten, it's like, oh. Well, 12 teams requested Rutgers. Actually, <laughs> can't get them all 12. You, everybody just gets to pick all of their opponents out of a hat, and then you're going to end up Michigan not playing Ohio State, and then they're going to abandon that and go back to another different – Yeah, you know what? We had it right the first time. Yeah. No, no, the hat thing would just be – would irk several. be a lot of fun. Like, can you you imagine- don't know your schedule until like two months before it starts? I, I would enjoy that a lot. I think you go week by week. You just don't – like Sunday night, you pick out of a hat. Oh, we're playing <laughs> Iowa this week. All right. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Uh, so here we go. I, this is going to be a little cluttered, but we'll do our best. So, the, again, there's protected opponents. Again, that is something that will be played annually, okay, beyond uh, this, just these two seasons. And then the two play opponents, which is, again, whatever. Two play opponents. Double play. Uh, are, are teams that Six are highlighted that, they're, that these teams are playing the next two seasons, but it's not permanent. It's just a part of this rotation. I want to know what the hell 26 and 27 is going to look like if we've got to play some teams twice in a row, but not permanently. I don't – whatever. Anyway, here are some of the highlights. So, Ohio State's going to play Michigan every year. That's a shocker, I'm sure. Um, USC and UCLA will play each other every year. Again, shocker, I'm sure. Uh, Wisconsin and Iowa will play every year. Um, Iowa will play Nebraska and Minnesota and Wisconsin every year. So Iowa's got three protected opponents. I didn't know every half of Iowa's schedule needed to be protected. But Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin. I need to not do this out of order, and I'm doing this out of order. Michigan's got Ohio State, as I just said. They've got Michigan State every year, too. Uh, Northwestern's got Illinois every year. Uh, Rutgers has Maryland. I'm sure everyone is excited to hear that. I don't know. Why are some teams have multiple protected opponents and some of them only have one? It's I very, just want to know the reasoning behind that. I don't know. It's hilarious to me that Iowa has three protected opponents and Penn State has none. Um, Indiana's State. got Purdue. Uh, Purdue's got Illinois and Indiana. Did I say Illinois? Illinois's got Northwestern Purdue. I think I covered them all there. Uh, so, as you guys pointed out, there is one team in this conference that does not have a protected rival. It is Penn State, which is ironically one of the, the biggest programs. Now, I will say this. I don't know if, even though there's a difference in big games and rivalries. And Penn State, Ohio State's a big game. It's relevant to the Big Ten. And Penn State and Michigan is a big big game. It's relevant to the Big Ten. I'm not sure how big of rivals those teams actually are. That, that will be my one defense of this decision, is that they play big games. I don't necessarily think there's any extra vitriol there than just, hey, this is kind of important. I was trying to look it up. I, I know there's – so there's they've got two games that they play for trophies, and it's – Penn State and Michigan State play for the Land Grant Trophy, and that's been played since 1914. And then the the uh, Minnesota and Penn State is the Governor's Victory Bell, which has been played since 1993, so not not as old. But like they they have two trophy games, if that counts for something. Uh, Penn State does. Yeah. Uh, well, apparently it didn't count for something. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it counted for a two play. Like the count for a two play, One two but, play. but you see play. again, I don't. I, That's like toilet paper now. <laughs> now I'm starting to think about toilet paper. See, so if I if I saw the long term model here, though, the two play might not be that important. Like it might be that you two play everyone at some point. This is just the first rotation, and I and I failed to see all the national beat writers have focused on is just these next two years, and then the the protected rivalries. But what I want to know is how long the cycle is, right? Because the SEC cycle, even though we didn't like it, ended up being, what, a 12-year cycle for the schedule? Yeah. Because it took six years to play everyone once in the cross division, and then it took 12 to play everyone at home at least once. So it was like a, it was a clear 12-team rotation or 12-year rotation. 
I don't know how many years this rotation is. I, I've not been able to do the math on the fly. I'm usually good at math. Ma- math right now would make my brain over overload. <laughs> uh, so I just I can't do that. It might be that this is only like a four-year rotation. It might be six or eight. I, I don't know. So I don't know how often you have the two-play teams. Um, I, Brooks, I think that... Yeah, go through some of the two plays. Go through like the big schools two plays. So I mean, you know, you're looking. I'm I'm just gonna, you know, I'm looking at some of these these trophy games. You've got you you get the two play, and it it, it feels weird that you know you've got trophy games that aren't gonna get played every single year, and it's just it's it's just so weird. So Ohio State Illinois, that's the Illibuck Trophy. Um, they're they're a two play. Uh, Indiana, let's see what Indiana's got. For two plays, they've got Maryland and Michigan State, which is the you know they got the old brass spittoon uh, ah. for Michigan State, uh, so that that's I guess a big game for them. Um, Maryland's got Indiana and Michigan. There's not really a rivalry there. Mer- Michigan's got Maryland, uh, Indiana uh, not Indiana State, uh, but you could put them in here I guess. Um, Michigan State and Indiana, uh, and then Michigan State and Penn State, Minnesota will play Nebraska. As one of their two two plays, which is the five dollar bits of broken chair trophy, which has been played since twenty since nineteen hundred, which which I didn't know was I didn't a know thing. That existed, yeah. Um, they've only had sixty three <laughs> meetings though. Uh, Nebraska they get to play Minnesota and UCLA. Cool. Uh, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Purdue, um, which is neither like Northwestern's only got one trophy game. It looks like. Um, do they get to play that trophy game at all? Uh, no, no, they don't. Because their one trophy game on this list is the George Jewett Trophy, which is they play they've played since 1892 against Michigan. Oh no, not and, George. And and they don't get to play for that. Um, Ohio State, Illinois, and Northwestern. Obviously, you know we we talk about Penn State doesn't get any protected games. They get two way play opponents with. Michigan State Rutgers and USC, which I guess is fun. They get Rutgers, but uh, sorry for you have to play USC. That they're coming into their own with Lincoln Riley, Purdue and Northwestern. Rutgers gets Penn State and UCLA. UCLA gets Nebraska and Rutgers. Um, USC gets Penn State and Wisconsin, and Wisconsin just gets USC and two play opponents. Right, and again, it's, those those pertaining to so some of those teams had to have. Well, oh, Penn State's the only team that had to have three two play opponents. Um, so everyone has three here of either uh, combined between two play opponents and protected opponents. Don't ask me why that is. Again, I I'm, I don't know. I think the Big Ten just decided that they wanted to make something as complex as possible. <laughs> it feels and like show they just advanced sophistication that would clearly enhance their ability to outthink everybody it's like they took they 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 decided hey we're going to put analytics into this and it's like no we just don't need they have uh or or the other the other uh theory they just had all the teams listed on the on a big uh dartboard cover their eyes and just threw darts at the board until something stick so so the relevant programs here again to reiterate for everybody so I'm going to take the two Michigans. I'm going to take Ohio State. I'll take Wisconsin. I'll take the two uh, SoCal newbies uh, and Penn State. So Michigan, they're they're always going to play Michigan State and Ohio State. They will play Maryland the next two years. Uh, 
Michigan State will always play Michigan. They will have Indiana and Penn State the next two years. Wisconsin will have Iowa and Minnesota always. They will play USC the next two years. Ohio State will always play Michigan. They'll have Illinois and Northwestern the next two years. Penn State will will (laughs) never always play somebody. That's fun. Uh, And they will play Michigan State, Rutgers, and USC the next two years. UCLA will always play USC. They will have Nebraska and Rutgers. Wow. Really shaking there for the next (laughs) two years. Uh, And USC will always have UCLA. They will have a different experience. They'll play Penn State and Wisconsin the next two years. So that's that's the rotation they're going off of. Now, on to the 2024 schedule. I'm not going to, at this time, go through 2025. Please find social media graphics or internet research for that. Uh, 2024, though. So sticking to um, the, the big headliners, okay? And again, Big Ten is playing nine conference games, no more divisions, anything like that. Sticking to the teams I just referred to. First with Michigan. Here's all their opponents. We're going to – I don't know the best way to do this. I, I feel like if I read 36 straight uh, games to you, like four different schedules, your, your head's going to hurt. But here's Michigan's, and do with this what you will. They'll have Illinois, Ohio State, Rutgers, USC. They'll have Maryland, Michigan State, Minnesota, UCLA, Wisconsin. So when first brush, when I look at this – from Michigan. Okay, you've got to play both USC and UCLA in 2024. UCLA seems to still be a program improving under Chip Kelly. It is not obviously awesome, but it is becoming respectable. And of course, USC now with Lincoln Riley, even though they will not have Caleb Williams, that still figures to not, to not be uh, any cakewalk. Again, Michigan has Ohio State as they should. They've also got Michigan State as they should. Uh, they've also got... Uh, you know, Minnesota, who's been a decent program here the last few years, and they've got Wisconsin. Uh, that, that's a pretty formidable – I don't – I mean, other than Penn State and maybe Iowa, I don't know who else you could play that's even mildly and towards the top half of the field here in the Big Ten. That, yeah. that seems pretty difficult. Any thoughts you, before we move to someone else? You get your, your top – one of your top brands in the Big Ten playing USC, the, your two newest schools this yes. first year. US, you get to, a, a, to travel to – you get one of your biggest brands in L.A. for one of the games, and then you get one of those new teams to come to Ann Arbor that year. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to ask you on live radio because it it, is this – is white or gray home? White is away. White, white, white is, away. is away. White is away. White is away. Gray is home. So Michigan goes. Uh, gray is goes it, to Southern Cal. They host UCLA, Wisconsin, etc. And if you you know if you we didn't even have it listed here on the side where it says home and away games, gray is the color of the sky in the Big Ten during football games. So you you know that's their home games. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, all mm. right. Tell me I'm wrong. Michigan State, unless, Brant, you got anything from Michigan? No, I'm so confused. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've confused many people today. Uh, <laughs> no, but this is continu- your fault, Ryan. Let the confusion continue. Hey, if you miss anything, though, if you do get confused right now, you go back and listen to this on the Sports Call podcast presented Attaboy. by Coca-Cola. Attaboy. All right, Michigan State. Shameless plug. They got Maryland, so the Turtles, Michigan, Nebraska, Penn State, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio State, Purdue, Rutgers. So Michigan State avoids the two SoCal teams. They do have 
the best of all the other Big Ten programs. They got Ohio State, they got Michigan, they got Penn State. Uh, they do avoid uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. Okay, so that's Michigan State. Let's go to Wisconsin next, and we'll do Ohio State, Penn State, and the two SoCal schools. We'll take a break, and I'll shut up. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin, they've got Iowa. Again, that's going to happen all the time. they got Maryland, Michigan, Nebraska, USC. Those are road games. They host Indiana, Minnesota, Penn State, Purdue. So they avoid UCLA. They avoid Ohio State. They do have Michigan and USC on the road, notable home game there being Penn State. They 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 also have Iowa, who they've usually played because that's been the that's usually the matchup to win that division for the last however many years. So that's Wisconsin, Ohio State. They will go to this again twenty twenty four. If you're just joining us, twenty twenty four, Ohio State will go to East Lansing, play Michigan State. They'll go to Minnesota. They'll go to Penn State. They'll go cross country to UCLA. They'll then host Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Northwestern, Rutgers. Um, not awful. There's no USC on this list for Ohio State. That's that's definitely relevant. They do have Michigan. They do have Michigan State. They got UCLA. They got Iowa. No Wisconsin, which is also kind of relevant. So Ohio State, not the most formidable of, of these key schedules here. Penn State goes to Indiana. Purdue, Rutgers, Wisconsin. They host Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, USC. That is very balanced towards the home schedule. The Really the only bad road game they got is Wisconsin, but they've got Michigan State, Ohio State, and USC at home. So 2024 for the Nittany Lions, just saying. It's going to be a lot of great home games for them. All right, two more, and then I'll shut up. UCLA. They go to Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Rutgers. They host Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, and USC. So, again, any road trip for UCLA and USC will be formidable uh, just from a distance-wise. Our, our good friend uh, Brandon Marcello of 247 Sports pointed out that with that UCLA schedule as well, they also have road games at Hawaii and LSU that year. What a great time to go to Hawaii. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, they'll be traveling a lot in the non-con. They do have six six road games. Get those frequent fire and miles. none of them are even remotely close to, to Los Angeles, California. That's nope. great. So, again, formidable opponents in Iowa and Michigan on the road. They'll host Ohio State and USC. And then for USC, they've got five scheduled conference road games. Maryland, which is about as far as you can go. Uh, Northwestern, Penn State, again, about as far as you can go. Purdue and UCLA, they host Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin. So, again, to recap, USC, tough games for them at Penn State. At UCLA, tough teams, but they get to host Michigan and Wisconsin. They get to avoid um, Ohio State, most notably there. And they also avoid uh, Michigan State. So, seemed pretty balanced of all that. I Brant's been, I thought he was writing. Never mind. I'm he not, was, I'm, uh, not, not writing. I'm not writing. I'm he playing was, with a pen. He was, he was listening in a way. Utter confusion. Um, I, I like, I caught up. I caught up more towards the end. 
it seems like everyone, of all the teams I read, because I, I focused on the top half. I focused on I focused on Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State, UCLA, USC. That's seven. If I would have thrown Iowa in, that's your top eight teams in the Big Ten. I did not read Iowa. Oh, well. So I read seven there. Everyone seemed to get three or four of the other six. I think one team got five, but no one had all six of the behemoths. Uh, what was was it? Michigan that I said got pretty close. Ohio State, USC, Michigan State, UCLA, Wisconsin. Yeah, so Michigan got five of the what I deemed the top six. There, the only one they they did not have to play is Penn State. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any big takeaways there. Uh, I said a lot of words, so we're either going to go to break or you guys are going to have takeaways. I'm going to stop talking either way. Uh, but that's it. That's the 2024 Big Ten schedule. I'm really intrigued by Penn State. You you touched on it a second ago, Ryan. They have a couple of tough games, but all but one of them are going to be at home. They've got a, a really, really doable schedule. Now, uh, looking ahead to 2025, like obviously it flips. Their 25 schedule is going to be brutal. But that, uh, this upcoming season, the 24 schedule, they got a chance to really make some noise if they handle their business at home. And obviously you got to go on the road to Wisconsin, but still, that seems pretty doable to me. Uh, for Penn State. Might be a big year for them. What is the first year of the expanded playoff? Is that 24? It's 24. Yeah, yeah okay. there's one yeah. more year without it. Because yeah. I, I was going to say, wouldn't it be something if USC, uh, specifically USC, uh, started, you know, join the Big Ten, and then, you know, you get knocked off one or two times uh, in the year, and you have to put all these, uh, spend all this money traveling across country to play football games, and you don't even make the playoff. But you know, you, there's the door is open for them to you know get knocked off a couple times and still make that playoff. But you know, what if you know what if you hit the year? Say you play Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all in the same year. You were just one off this the for the 2024 season, and say you lose all three of those and miss the playoff. And you're like, is it worth it to fly to Rutgers? Every other year to to play the, the to to put all these miles on the on uh, on our credit cards and play this game. Um, obviously, they they think it's going to be because they they join the conference. But it it's intriguing. It feels like it's a lot more complicated than it, than it needed to be when the scheduling profile you know scheduling these uh, this layout. But I'm intrigued. Um, I'll still watch just as much Big Ten football as I did previously. Um, and I'm, I feel sorry for the USC uh, fans that have to wake up and watch a football game at 9 a.m. when they're, you know, at Maryland or something. Yeah, you know, I, I think the U, I think USC and UCLA still be fine when they, uh, when they get that beautiful paycheck that's like $50 million a team in the Big Ten. I think that'll, that'll ease the pain a little bit. But – you know, we, we've talked from the SEC's angle for the playoff in 2024, and obviously they're sticking with eight conference games, and we're going to have the same exercise this time next week because I think I think they're releasing it Wednesday night, not Wednesday during the show. So Thursday we'll be going over the schedules, and we'll hopefully have a coherent way of doing that. No promises, though. It's tougher to do this. It's much easier to read this than to hear this and, and be able to digest all this. But I will tell you this. The Big Ten is going to be the other conference that is going to be a multi-bid league year in, year out. The SEC might have the most teams every year, 
They might get three, four teams, maybe five in an occasional year. But the Big Ten's going to get two teams at least every year. Um, when you have the 12 spots, you got six guaranteed, and you got six at-large spots. Yeah, the SEC is going to consume two or three of those to get a total of like four teams, but that's still three more spots. And maybe even if the SEC has a big, beautiful year and they got five total teams, great. There's still two more spots available. And I would just be shocked if the Big Ten is not consistently at least one of them. Uh, they might be two of them every year. They, they might be getting averaging three teams a year uh, because there's going to be a couple conferences like the Pac-12, assuming it continues to go, and like the AAC uh, or, or, or the Mountain West, whichever that sixth conference is, that are just not going to have a second team that are going to be in the top 12. Or, or really even sniffing it, maybe. Um, so the SEC and Big Ten will do a lot of damage with the with the spots. Of course, we've talked about the SEC a lot, but the Big Ten will also be a multi-bid year, a multi-bid league year in, year out. So that is the Big Ten football schedule in a semi-large nutshell. <laughs> and uh, there is 2025 out there. We're going to forego that for now. If we need more later, we'll get back into it. But uh, if you missed any of that, go back and check it out. Sports Call Podcast. Of course, if you have any questions, give us a call on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll free. one 9 tiger 9 We're going to take our first time out of hour number two. Come back and join the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress. Brant? Hello. He's looking up some jerseys right now. Just I, found a Cole Hamels jersey. I did. I found a Cole Hamels Braves jersey for like, what did I say the price was? $360. $360 for a dude who threw less than a full game yeah. for the Braves. Yeah. A starting pitcher who threw less than nine innings for the Braves. It made me think, not of the most forgettable uh, performances because it's hard to remember those. Uh, but guys that you're used to computing, computing, whoa, competing, competing against oh. often, like for a long period of time, you've always watched that guy pl- play against your team. Yeah. But then you get the opportunity to watch him play for your team. It's never as fu- it's never as fun as you think it's going to be. They're always like at the end of their career or they're injured. I, what immediately comes to mind for me, Ryan, is I didn't watch him play against me, then for me. Uh-huh. I watched him play for me, then against me, Julio Jones, right. going from the Falcons to the Bucks. Like, 
the seven games Julio was alive this year, <laughs> enjoyed it thoroughly, mm-hmm. but was not alive for most of the games. And that is an example. But Cole Hamels has got to be a huge Braves example because he was a Philly for a long, long time. And he was very good for a long, long time. And then he pitched one game for the Braves. Just one singular game. Uh, and it's it's tough that way. It's like if it's like if Harper came to Atlanta, Ew. Lord forbid, Ew. like his age thirty eight year for a year. I take it and hit like two forty, and hit fifteen home runs and then retired. It's like wow, that was nothing like how it used to be. <laughs> this I, is sad. I actually saw a list last night of uh, players. You that was the list was like quote players you probably forgot played for the Braves. Um, and I, I, it was it was a list of guys that I'm like, yeah, I remember him. I remember him. Um, Jose Bautista had a little yeah, stint with Betts. the Braves. Uh, we all remember Stephen Vogt uh, got yeah, his ring yeah. with the Braves. Um, who else was it? Kurt I, Suzuki was the catcher for a couple years. I loved Kurt Suzuki, man. He was so good. I know way too many random relievers from the 2000s because of uh, video games. The the biggest pitcher that they they showed was Dallas Keuchel. Oh yeah. Shelby Miller was supposed to be good. Yeah, gosh, I, I know gosh. too many random Shelby relievers. Miller. Can I interest you in some Antonio Alfonseca <laughs> from yes, mid two thousands? Big old boy pitched for like the Marlins, Braves, a bunch of other teams. Shelby Miller was my favorite man. I remember he was the the there was one year the Braves were so bad, but he had an ERA under like two and a half, and he was the only All Star. He had a losing record. But was an all star because his ERA was so good, and he just got no offense. Can I give you some like 2006 Jorge Sosa? Want some oh. of that from, over from Tampa Bay to, to Atlanta? Had like one Ooh. great year where he had like 13 wins, like a low three ERA, and then was never the same. I don't know, just random people. Anyway, want to get to someone that's not random? It's time to unveil this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Denver Nuggets center Nikola Jokic is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The 28-year-old superstar led the Nuggets to a sweep in the Western Conference Finals last week and is leading the team during the NBA Finals. The Nuggets dominated the Lakers in four games with Jokic averaging 28 points, 11 assists, and 15 rebounds for the series. Through two games in the Finals, Jokic is averaging 34 points, 9 assists, and 11.5 rebounds. Nikola Jokic is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Thank you to Brant for putting that one together for us, as always. Yeah. Nikola Jokic, the player of the week for Sports Call. We vote on these on Monday into Tuesday, usually. So, uh, Some of us di- submit it mon- no, Sunday night. Disclaimer, that's true. Yeah. Uh, disclaimer, though. So that's put together before uh, we know that Nikola Jokic is going <laughs> to do a NBA Finals first last night, 30-20-10 stat line. But uh, Jokic... Has been incredible. We won't go full deep dive here because we do need to go to Auburn make phone line again. But, uh, guys, again, Jokic, going into that Lakers series, that was the team that beat the Nuggets when they were kind of last healthy in the bubble uh, back in 2020. And for him to just throw things in and play so well in that series and go up against a great defensive player in Anthony Davis and dominate, and then starting in the NBA Finals the first two games. I know they lost game two, but he had 41 points. He was awesome in game one when they won. There's just a certain level he's not going to be below. He's either going to have like a 20-point triple-double or he's going to score 35 points and have 15 rebounds. Either way, he's going to do something impactful, and he's been tremendous, and, and now everyone is aware of how great he is. Uh, after this postseason run, he played 82 minutes over two games. That's a lot. Yep. That's a lot of minutes. 
68 points, 21 rebounds, 18 assists are your combined stats for the for the uh, for the two so games. What 34 points a game? You said 21 rebounds. 21 rebounds. So and 18 10 and a half rebounds, 19 assists, nine and a half assists. So 34, 10 and 10 essentially, yeah. or 34, 11 and 10. So average a triple double. Yeah. Over two games. Yep. In the finals. It's impressive. Highest level of competition. And then, you know, like you said, dropped a historic number last night, which, spoiler alert. Going to give them a good chance. Going to give them a, a pretty good chance to, to go back to back on uh, Sports Call Player of the Week. But it, it's just, it's impressive what he's doing. And he just There's, doesn't seem to care. They'll, they'll play one. Yeah. He, they'll play one more game before. Uh, before they'll play the, two more. The series more could be week? over. Okay. They'll play Friday. Okay. No, they'll play Friday and Monday. I'm sorry. They'll play Sunday. And they'll the thing play is, play you know, last night's game, he was historic. He wasn't even the leading scorer on his team. Jamal Murray beat him by like two points. Yeah. He had a double-double. Almost had a triple-double. My favorite thing I've ever heard about Nikola Jokic is that he looks like he's playing in flip-flops. So I, it made me <laughs> laugh really hard, and I can't I, – every time I watch him, I'm just like, yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. It, it is perfect. But he's better than your best player. And, I, I again, I enjoyed uh, when someone called him like a panicked walrus running in the <laughs> sand. That that one that – he, he never jumps more than like 10 inches off the ground. He's, he's yeah. Does it need He to? looks so slow and unathletic and overweight and just like this chubby Serbian dude. <laughs> you tell me – But, God, is he a good basketball player. You, you tell me when someone's been uh, compared to a walrus, but it's actually been a positive thing. <laughs> It's hard to find, so I'll say. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line now, 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. First up today on the Auburn Bank phone line, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing very good, and uh, I enjoyed all your comments I was listening to. And also, uh, Brooks, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, is it uh, Brent today? Yes, sir. Okay, so... I got a chance to finally listen to Towns Named on Tuesday and loved it. Uh, uh, Crab Orchard is that the one that only has forty-seven people, or is that true? Or is that Cairo? Uh, no, the 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 true uh, not true. I keep trying to say truth or consequences. Uh, Crab Orchard is the one that has only forty-seven people. So I guess they're the only people that are picking up the, the crab apples there. Yeah. Lord Almighty. Okay. Well, and then the one that really got me was Elephant. Is it Boot? Butte? Butte. Yeah. The David Parker Ray, uh, alleged rapist, toy box killer. Good Lord. Yeah, that, that wasn't, the, wasn't the most positive notable person from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently he was suspected of having killed 60 people. Is that right? That That's what the Tom t- told us. But it took him like 25 or 30 years to finally catch up with him? Yeah. He's sorry he was about 18, apparently. But anyway, uh, I loved it, so I hope you guys uh, keep doing that again. All right, speaking of uh, Player of the Week, guys, I know you did it uh, before this happened, but I just read this guy. I didn't watch it, but uh, Mr. Uh, Jokic, is that right? Yep, Jokic. Yep. And and uh, Mr. Murray became the first teammates ever to score 30-point triple doubles in NBA history? Uh, yes, I think, I think so. That's part of report. That's what I'm reading here. Yeah, I, I I guess Murray did get that tenth rebound, but um, yeah, no, Jokic's stat line too was the first. I I didn't remember if if the two teammate triple double had happened before. I kind of thought it had, but maybe it hadn't. Yeah, I'm just reading from Bleach Report it says Jokic and Murray became first teammates ever with thirty point triple doubles each in NBA history. Gotcha. 
Oh, I hope they know what they're talking about. Yeah, it might have just been that. It might have been that there there were two teammates that had triple doubles, but that they hadn't scored thirty points. All right. Okay. Do you guys uh, seeing this being wrapped up uh, by the Denver Nuggets? I I do. Uh, I I think they will win the series. Miami really needs to win Game Four tomorrow night. I wouldn't put it past them to win another game in the series, but. I, I still think Denver's just so overwhelming with what Jokic does uh, and the way Murray's been playing that they didn't even really have their role guys other than Christian Brown play well last night, and they still won fairly easily. So I, I, I just think there's too many ways for the Nuggets to win. Yeah, I saw the final because I didn't see the game. 15-point win. Was it always that big of a, a spread, or was it ever closer? It was very close in the first half. It was, In fact, no one had a lead bigger than five points in the first half. So it was very, very close in the first half. And then Denver kind of spaced away. Miami would try to pull it back to nine or ten, and then Denver would do enough to pull it out. So, yeah, it was mainly double digits in the second half, but it was very close in the first half. And then we got the Stanley Cup playoffs. I've been seeing the finals. Uh, apparently the Panthers have almost uh, done for, right? Yeah, they've been drubbed in the first two games, but uh, obviously they're they're going home for the first time, so we'll see if game three is any different. Okay. Staying with basketball real quickly, guys. Uh, you know, we've got a guy, and I haven't been reading that much about him. I uh, didn't know that much about him until I read this article by uh, Nathan King. And uh, apparently Chad Baker-Mazzara is uh, someone that could be uh, an impact maker. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was struck by these stats. At Northwest Florida State College, which is where he played last year, uh, he had absurd percentage shooting uh, from the three-point line, 46.9. Now, I know it's, I guess, our Power 5 conference, but, gosh, uh, that, that's astounding, isn't it? Yeah, no, and, and we've talked about his three-point numbers, both uh, at JUCO last year but also uh, prior to that at San Diego State. In his college career, he's over a 40% three-point shooter. So that that is absolutely one of the parts of his game that, that figures to be consistent and and make a lot of people hopeful that they're gonna, that there's going to be a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, wing out there that's that's hitting a, at a good clip from three. And I suspect, since I know these stats, and you, you know these stats, so does probably the other SEC opponent teams. Coaches know them because they're probably going to be double-teaming uh, him, right? Well, they'll certainly be playing uh, on the perimeter against him. They're not going to be giving him much room to operate out on the perimeter. So we will see what kind of game he's got inside the perimeter. But still, I mean, you run good offense, you can still get guys open looks at times. So, uh, you know, what he does from inside the three-point line could ultimately be notable, but I still trust that he's going to get some looks this year. And then uh, that amazing hitter uh, continues to hit. He's gone to 41 now. Yeah, Luis Arise, he, uh, yeah. he two more hits last night. Uh, they, they can't stop him, can they? Not right now. He's red hot. Uh, amazing, amazing. All right, and then this little nugget, guys, uh, again from Bleacher Report. Uh, they, they're always breaking this news. Maybe you already know about it. It says, more gambling problems. Do you know what they're referring to? Uh, was it about the Colts player? Yes, Mr. Isaiah Rogers. Yep. The NFL says here... Um, a player for pervasive sports betting, including on his own team. Now, the reason I'm making this kind of a intonation because I read a former NFL player saying that it doesn't surprise him because they're not, he said, uh, the NFL players are not that knowledgeable about uh, the NFL prohibiting gambling. I said, 
this is can't be. Uh, that to me seems implausible because I've read in the past where that's the first thing that they're introduced when they come to the NFL is someone talks about uh, the gambling that's prohibited. Guys, um, does that sound plausible to you that they're just not that neither knowledgeable about the gambling prohibition? No, I, I could see how they would not be as knowledgeable about some of the more tertiary rules, like if you're talking about like using a daily fantasy app or something. I think that the normal betting, though, uh, would be very much they should be aware of. And no one, to my knowledge, for several years there had had an issue with it or at least been caught with an issue with it. So right now, I would say they should even be more aware than ever because these all these punish, punishments are being handed down uh, to guys over the last couple of years. So I could see how they wouldn't be keenly aware of some some daily lineup stuff, some DraftKings stuff or something. But as far as like the big books and the and the normal betting on teams to win or lose, over-unders, et cetera, I, I would think they should have always been aware of that. Well, this is what uh, gives it was astounding is what they caught him at doing. And he pleaded guilty to it. He said that they said they caught him making bets at the Colts facilities. Yeah, how can you not great. Uh, do that one? Yeah, uh, not good. And, and then bets on his own team. Uh, I don't know if he bet against them or bet on them. Uh, do you know? I, I don't know. I hope. I mean, at this point, I don't. I don't like that. I don't like that he did it. Period. But but at least it, it would not be the worst possible thing if he bet for his team to win. But still, I don't want any of it to happen. What's so crazy is he's risking his livelihood and career for. They said here he made hundreds of bets through an acquaintance. There was a twenty-five to fifty-dollar range. Yeah, that's it. You're risking your career for that kind of little, uh, you know, loose change. Yeah, it's 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 a hobby to some people, but for those guys that make so much, it's it's not a hobby that they should be involved in. Not while they're playing. Uh, there's there's too much on the line. I, again, I get that there are a lot of people that love betting and they they bet each week and 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 it's all it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, small bets and and it's not really life-changing stuff but when you think about the suspensions that can come and you getting kicked out of the league or something like that that is life-changing not because of what you actually bet bet uh by what you bet out of your wallet but what you're not going to see go into your wallet from forfeiting those contracts so i'm just saying you know how could you be first having this bad judgment and be so dumb that you do it at your facility site to begin with you know they're gonna practice stuff, but then the other part, the part that I just, this one I couldn't believe is what we talked about earlier, he said, he says here on Bleach Report, the problem, according to one NFL vet, players don't even know the gambling policy rules. That, that's what strikes me. Said, Are you seriously, they don't know the gambling policy rules? Wow. Okay. Then the NFL's not doing a good job. <laughs> Yeah, there might be some particular things they need to explain a little bit more. But, again, the generic stuff, I would have thought that should have been obvious. All right, moving on real quick, guys. I heard your uh, matchups uh, for the uh, season for the Big Ten. So let me ask you about uh, the SEC. Will we still have uh, the divisions this year? Uh, For 2023, which is in a couple months, yes. But for 2024, no. So the schedule that gets announced next week, Starting in 2024, no more divisions. Okay, so for that then, uh, how will they uh, determine the criteria for the SEC championship game teams? Yeah, it's going to be the top two teams, so the most relevant thing is is how they break ties. And obviously a head-to-head would start it, but 
Um, they'll they'll have to be more specific. I, I don't think that they've actually announced, to my knowledge, unless you guys have seen it. I don't think they've announced the protocols they'll use. No, they haven't uh, to break ties. So they'll they'll have they'll have some something whether strength of record played <laughs> in the SEC or you know or, or something. I, I don't know, but but it'll be top two teams. The two teams, they're, they're tops, not nationally, but in the SEC standings. Right in the in the in league play. Okay, all right. Uh, so who knows what kind of analytics and metrics they're going to use? Right, everybody will. No one will be happy probably about it. Right. I mean, I I don't I don't know if there'll be there there might be some bickering, but it's not like there, there's there's only so many things you can break a tie with. So we'll have to see what actually they use. But it's not like. Unless they go coin flip, which I think everyone would be irritated about. I, I, I don't see how there would be a whole lot of bickering. So, for given that aspect, guys, do you think this will be a more even level playing field that more teams uh, and have been able to make it to the CQ championship that will give a more likelihood of teams uh, to be able to possibly make it than uh, if we stuck with the, the separation divisions? Because you know, like in the, the you know in the traditional format, if you lose one game, the SEC West SEC East, you're almost done for, right? Right. I think from that aspect, yes. But I mean, as long as Georgia and Alabama are doing what they're doing, they're not likely to <laughs> to lose a whole lot of games. It's gonna be tough to to knock them out of that. Uh, but but yes, I mean, one loss to the wrong team can put you out um, under the divisional format. So in in that aspect, uh, one loss should not even if it is to Alabama or Georgia, I don't think one loss will completely doom you. Now, there might be some years where if Alabama and Georgia don't play, or, or it could be somebody else. If Texas has a huge year, LSU has the Joe Burrow year, whatever, there could be another team that goes undefeated, and then you've you've lost to the other team or something. So there could be some times where a one-loss team does in a tiebreaker lose out or something. But, again, if you've in the past, if you've lost to Alabama in really any of the last 10 or 15 years in the West – or if you've lost to Georgia here as of late in the East, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much gotten you good to go home. One final question about that. Do you think the 2024 uh, playoff format of the 12 teams will help a, a team like Auburn, who, you know, was it 2000, uh, was it 2017, uh, that we beat both Alabama and Auburn, uh, Auburn uh, Alabama and Georgia, who was ranked number one, we made the SEC championship, but then, of course, we couldn't make it to the national championship playoff. Right. Do you think that kind of scenario will lead to a team like Auburn, who beat number one teams, could then make it to the playoffs? Yes. In the I, yeah, that Auburn team would have very likely, if not certainly, have gone to the playoffs because they, they got ranked, I think, number three prior to the SEC title game against Georgia, or at least number four. So they wouldn't have dropped out of the top 10 or 12 uh, for that loss. So that, that, that 2017 Auburn team would have been in the playoff, yes. Okay, good. Uh, I want to see more competitiveness and more of a playing field. You know, I think was it like James? He said, you know, people, I think for the large part public, I've seen polls, they're weary of seeing the same teams go to championship uh, playoffs. And speaking of getting weary. Uh, Last thing for us, Steve, then we got to get to our hour break. Uh, Oklahoma, can, can, can Florida State just go ahead and say, you know, let's get it over with? I saw the, the fifth inning on, and I know who their pitchers are, I got their names. But the pitcher who was starting, uh, she got uh, relieved in the fifth inning. They threw in the relief pitcher, who I said I couldn't tell the difference. They were throwing strikes left and right, 
and then their outfield threw out someone trying to steal for Florida State. I guess, you know, they were desperate to steal second from a ball that hit the, the wall and got her out, and it was 5 to nothing. Guys, uh, it's over tonight, right? I think it's very likely, yes. I mean, again, Florida State, uh, believe it or not, that's a better fight than most teams against Oklahoma, but uh, they were tied, I think, going to the fourth or something like that. But No, no, no. It was 5 to nothing. It could have been one nothing, and the game would have been over. No, no, I'm saying it was tied going to like the fourth inning oh, oh, and before okay, Oklahoma okay. started to score some runs. So, I mean, again, I, I, that is very unlikely, but uh, but yeah, they, they still got to play it on the field. Oh, God help us all when they come to the SEC, right? I, I didn't hear the first part of that. God help us all because they're oh. coming to the SEC. Yes, they, they, they're going to wreck some teams in the SEC too. Yeah, it'll be bedlam. All right, guys, thank you again for uh, taking your time to talk with me. And uh, as always, have a safe afternoon and evening. We'll uh, do this again tomorrow, hopefully. War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That's retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time for hour number two, but much more sports call ahead in hour number three. Stay tuned. More after this timeout. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dottry, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday had a lot of fun in hour number two. I don't. Well, I, sh- I I had fun. I don't know if you had fun. Me trying to discern how to read the Big Ten's <laughs> insurance model deal schedule. So, uh, if you missed any of that, though, go check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola. If you ever want to hear oh, something, oh, well, I mean, no, you, no, do you, you want to? No, you go ahead. Okay. Uh, if you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again like Brooks Interrupt, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. Go to Wingstop. Get you a vanilla Coke out of the Coke Freestyle machine tonight, Brooks, to uh, continue a conversation off air. Well, I've got drinks at home that I need to drink. Um, I was going to say, really, the, to best understand the Big Ten schedule, I think that you just need to, in your mind, have the circus music does da 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 while you're reading it and just have that playing in your mind while you're reading it, and then you'll understand it a lot better. For a conference that does a lot of smart things, it also does a lot some silly things. It has a lot of smart schools, too. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, obviously, getting USC and UCLA a big deal for the league uh, to try. and um, I don't think it matched, in my opinion, we've gone over it, uh, the Texas and Oklahoma, but, but it certainly was a, a nice counter move. Um, they do smart things there, and then they just they name their divisions and – 
name name their schedule, and I I don't know. I don't, some of it's not necessary, but uh, more power to them. So we talked a lot about that in hour number two. In hour number one, we talked a lot about uh, the Lionel Messi to enter Miami deal. One small story that won't be quite as long as those, but did want to pick up on, and Brant actually jogged my memory uh, seconds before I spoke into the microphone. Uh, is that a little bit of news about the NCAA football video game in recent days that uh, the the players are potentially going to organize some sort of boycott over their name and image being used in the college football game coming out next summer. I think that the payments were supposed to be $500 per player. Yes. And they want them to be higher than that. My initial reaction was... Are you aware of how many players are supposed to be in this game? Uh, that's a lot. Um, also, the fact that this seems like one of those things. There's a lot of times when the players realize they have leverage and they take full advantage of it. But I don't know if this is one of those times because you. I think every. I don't think anyone's going to buy the game one because they do or don't have the real people because people bought the game back in the day, right? Because you can just download rosters or at least we think you will be able to download rosters or at least edit players yep. and make your own roster. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't know that that is going to work out the way they think it will. Uh, what was, what came to mind when, when you saw that they were potentially going to boycott this? Um, I, I saw that um, I, they have a year to figure this out. I'm not panicking about it yet. Um, the other thing that I saw that was kind of interesting is that I saw a lot of college football players just go and, Hey man, I don't care if they give me five dollars. Just make the game. The, I, I saw more than a few players come out and make that tweet, have that quote, something to that effect. So I think that this might be something that college football players are kind of split down the middle. A lot of them just want the game. But like you said, anytime you have a chance to make money, go ahead and try to make money because the organizations you work for or play for, in this case, are going to make money off of you. So go ahead and try to get money. But like you said, there's just way too many players for there to be more than you know. I, I don't think they're going any higher than seven fifty. Honestly, I think seven hundred and fifty dollars might be the biggest check you get uh, because there's just not enough money to go around. It's not going to sell as much as Madden does, even if it's a million times better than Madden, because the NFL is such a larger market than that of college football. Um, everybody here is going to buy this game. I imagine that the three of us will all have it, assuming we all have an, a, a newer console that can play it. Well, you assume wrong because Brooks yeah. is not. <laughs> well, yeah. Brooks, there's, Brooks still has a year to get an Xbox. Or an, you assume that, happen, you assume that will happen. Assume that will happen. I'm a married it, man now, Brant. I don't fair. have time for these childish shenanigans. That's fair. I want to oh, play what? video games so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I again, they've got a year to figure this out to negotiate whatever. I, I'm not panicking about it yet. Obviously, I would like to have players' names and, and faces and have these real players be in there. But the the biggest thing that this game is going to offer is a dynasty mode in which you make yourself a coach, and then you become a head coach eventually, that's probably going to take place four, five, six years down the line when all of the players that are currently on the team are gone and you have these randomly computer-generated players. So what is it that I have two or three years of these current players and then they become randomly generated? I, I'm not super worried about playing with real players even if the game is not allowed to make to, to use their actual names and faces. Yeah, again, the leverage is not the same yeah. for these players because... It, it, even in the professional games, it's like, well, you could be playing with guys for 8, 10, 12 years. Part of the magic of that is that you are a LeBron James fan. You are a now Nikola Jokic fan. You are a Steph Curry fan. 
I want to play as those guys or build myself to look like or play like one of those guys. Um, but here in foot, I mean, in, in the collegiate level, especially, I mean, in some of these other sports, like I just talked about basketball, you'd be with a guy for one year. And in football, you'd be with a guy for three years. They may not play all three years before they become pro. Maybe they play a little bit as freshmen and start their next two years. I mean, you're not with these guys for very long. You're fans of these schools, not always of these players. And so I think that the desire to play as these players is far different than at the professional level. Therefore, the leverage is just not quite the same uh, for for these college guys. And again, I think, that's, as Brant's pointing out, I think that the majority of these kids, not to speak for them, but if I had to guess, what's the majority don't care and, and are fine with $500. But I'm thinking it's probably, and I'm not accusing this person, okay, be clear, it's the Caleb Williams of the world that are like, well, I'm I'm worth more, and you are, and you get that in the form of NIL, but this is not that. And you will be gone just like the other dudes on the, the, the virtual world video game, just like them. You will be gone in one or two years, and it'll be like, oh, well, now I've got to play with these new guys. So you're not forever on this game. And it is interesting because I know we all are very hyped about it, and I'm looking forward to it. I've read stuff about how the transfer portal could be implemented, and and uh, I forgot who it was, but uh, a national college beat writer got a uh, exclusive look, and he got actually got asked questions about how it might be, like does it work like this, and if we did that, would that make sense? Like that's a really good step in the right direction. I'm really excited about this, but admittedly, I was a little disappointed to be like, hey, <laughs> they're 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 potentially going to boycott just because five hundred dollars is enough, and I get that five hundred dollars in the scheme of things is not a lot, but a, this game was not in existence for several years, so take that. And then also the, the leverage part of it to me is it's just not the same, and you can't pay uh, 70, 80 players a team 1000 or more do- dollars. That, that math starts to not add up to where you can barely profit off of it um, at, at some point, or you have to do something different to profit off of it. So I, it, I don't know. Brooks, do you have anything to add? I mean, it, it's it's just a uh, you know there's so many college football players out there that you're you know you you can't pay every single one of them uh, you know it, the, the you you had the you know you were offered this right that's where you know EA Sports or is like this is what we can pay you and you're like you know I I I'm fine with them asking for more because that's a good negotiation is you you always ask for more no matter if it's a job interview or or you know whatever. But you're not never guaranteed to get that, and so it, it's like you it, it's like you said, and you and Brant both said, a lot of people are going to be on the dynasty mode, and you're going to, uh, you know, the players that you know say you buy 2024, you know, college football 24, whatever. Those players in a couple years are going to be gone out of the game, and you're going to have random players on your team that are computer generated, just like the old games. It, the only difference is you actually get to start with real players and you, you know, you, you get, you know, the, the players, you know, it, it's fun. It, you know, you're like, oh, I can, you know, recruit Caleb Williams to come to my school. Cool. That's great. He's out of the game in three years after you recruit him, four years after you recruit him. And so then, you, then you're, you know, you're back to, you know, computer generated games. Now, you know, you keep, you can keep updating the game as it keeps going with, you know, roster updates and stuff. Uh, you know, as they keep going, but it's still, um, you know, it, it's 
your you, people in generic, you know, regular game players are not playing it to get on and just play. Oh, I'm just going to play uh, Florida versus Auburn this year. I'm just going to go and do a one-off game. People want a little more sustenance to their games, and that's why you've got the my player modes and the my career modes and the my you know dynasty modes. Because people want more. They don't just want to get on there and play one-off. One-off games are fun every once in a while when you got friends over. You're like, I just want to play. You know, you pick a team, I'll pick a team. It's going to be Boise State versus Auburn. You know, let's, do, let's just play this out. But it's, it's not. Uh, All right, Brian. <laughs> that was actually, I, I pulled that because the first time I went to a friend's house and they had college football, I don't remember what year it was. Um, I, I was like, let's play. And it was well, the, the first matchup that we played was Boise State versus Auburn. And I don't All know right. why that's a core memory of huh. mine, but I keep remembering it. And the game ended like 9-3 to because we just kicked field goals. What in the holy Big Ten was going on there? I know. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's going to work itself out. I, I, I feel like they're going to, you know, they're going to come to an agreement. It may not be what they, you know, what the, the money that they want. It's not, it's going to be probably a little bit more than what EA Sports initially offered. They're going to meet somewhere in the middle, say, here's what we can do. Uh, and, and then, you know, maybe it, it's a deal based on, you know, hey, we make this much more, you know, in profits off the game, we'll give you, you know, this percent, we'll divide this percentage of it with, with you guys. But I, I think it'll get things will get figured out with it eventually. I, I thought of something viciously uh, unequitable, <laughs> or, <laughs> or or something that would make a lot of people mad. What if it was? What if they tiered it like, okay, your first team, uh, you make a thousand. If your second team on the depth chart, seven fifty. Oh. Third team, five hundred. And what if you just they just flat out get some things wrong? Yeah. You know, like there's battles, so they have to pick someone <laughs> to win the, a quarterback battle mm-hmm. or something, and, and have to put their own opinion into it. So you can't definitely can't do it that way. Some some uh, some guy that's like labeled as third string, but he's actually in a three three person race for that's like what? Who said I'm going to be third it, string? Like last year with the Auburn's quarterback battle, you're like, oh Zach Calzotti, you're going to win the job. Yeah, well, guess that's what? Not a bad example. So. Anyway, I wanted to bring that up. That's a game that uh, I think, again, we're all going to play. It uh, doesn't matter that we're supposed to be adults and, and not like these things. I continue to like I'm 25 things. years old, and I love playing video games. There I will go. not feel shame for that. Uh, so uh, that is kind of news from the EA wor- world and the uh, college football video game as it tries to launch sometime around uh, this time next year. We're going to take our next time out. Back with more Sports Call right after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Malloy, Brant Donfrey, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. Brooks, are you enjoying some Braves-Mets highlights? You look like you're having a good time. It was – I don't remember which Braves pitcher it was, but they were showing highlights of the Braves rally from game one, and when the Braves pitchers was, like, leaning over the side of the uh, the dugout, just yelled, throw it again. It was Matzik. It was, was yeah, Matzik. It was, after, it was Matzik. The, after the Braves uh, either tied it up or went ahead. Yeah, that got uh, – we, we didn't really talk about that part of it yesterday when we briefly mentioned the, the Braves and Mets. But uh, there got some animosity between Pete Alonzo and the Braves for really just all Pete Alonzo is doing. He hit a home run on Freaking tanked one. Tuesday night that made it a 4-1 game, and then he was caught in the dugout yelling out back at the Braves, throw it again, please throw it again. Um well, Braves came back, won the game. Uh, he then got viciously booed in his first and only at bat. As it was described uh, on the Braves pregame show yesterday, he got the Bryce Harper treatment. Right. Then got hit in the wrist uh, and then got che- <laughs> they, they cheered uh, that sequence as he left the, the, the field. Uh, and he is not in the lineup tonight. I, I, x-rays were negative. He's not seriously injured. He'll be back probably in a, in a few days. But uh, – he will not be in the series finale tonight. Braves have won the first two against the Mets. The really closest competition is with the uh, Marlins right now. Fishies. Uh, and the Marlins, of course, we've talked about Luis Arise uh, hitting over 400 uh, here on June the 8th. Not not 10 games in, not, not 20. Over 60 games in, hitting 400. So the Marlins seem to be right now the best competition for the Braves, and I'm certainly not going to write the Mets off. The Braves were in a hole similar to this last year and, and dug all the way out of it, and we know the Mets have, have uh, a, still a talented roster that uh, guys like Francisco Lindor only hitting like 210, 220 on the year. Uh, Scherzer lost the game last night against the Braves. He's got an ERA high threes, which is not awful for a pitcher, but still for him you expect more. Got Verlander going tonight. Uh, for the Mets against the Braves. Uh, I mean, big opportunity for the Braves to sweep the Mets, but I, I guess power rank the threats to the Braves in the NL East between the Marlins, Mets, and I guess you can throw the Phillies still in there. Phillies are only a, a half game back behind the Mets technically right now. Yeah, you know, I think the Mets are, I mean, they might be the most talented team in baseball, but it certainly is not working right now. And we've ta- I've, talked on, I've talked about it on this show before. The Mets will met. Right, and that means a collapse at some point in the season that allows the Braves to retake the to retake the uh, the uh, the division, division um, or or just to you know close the gap and then eventually take it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Mets, if their talent can ever get it figured out, then yeah, they're a team to worry about. But they just haven't this year. They're under five hundred. They're not a they're not a good team. We're sixty games in, and they have lost more than they've won. Um, Right now, it looks like the Marlins are are the biggest threat. And, you know, we've talked about how the Marlins have just been getting steadily and steadily better um, over the past couple of seasons. Uh, I think right now, until the Mets prove they can put stuff together, it is the Marlins because they're closer to the Braves than the Mets are. I I don't think the Marlins' success is sustainable. And I, I think that they're they're riding high on 
um, the the fact that the the Mets and the Phillies got off to such slow starts to start the year. I honestly think the biggest threat to the Braves down the stretch throughout the rest of the year is the Phillies mm. because they've got so much talent on their roster that and, you know the Mets have a lot of talent too. But it just, the Mets does don't feel like they're the same Mets this year. There's not a lot of excitement. They're not have you know they're not having fun. They have, didn't win the division on June first like they did last year, um, and so. The Mets feel like they're they're a, a middle of the pack team this year, like like they're running right now around 500. I feel like the if the Phillies get hot, they can start making a run. And I know they're eight games back of the Braves right now, but I, I, it just feels like they've got the tools and they've got the pitching um, that you if they get really hot, they can make a run at the Braves. I I think the Marlins are you know they're a good baseball team right now. They're playing really good baseball. But I, I think that you know you you know I I would have to see their you know their schedule that they've played. Um, it I, I think that their their success here is is I think at some point they're going to fall back to where the Marlins usually are. I think they'll finish. They could they've got the potential to finish above the the Mets and finish in third place and throw the Mets down in the fourth if if they you know can can play some consistent baseball down the stretch. But I honestly I, I think the biggest threat's the Phillies. I think if the Phillies get red hot or can get hot here uh coming down the stretch and if they they've got the tools uh and they've got the you know they've they've got the um the the tools in their in in their bat in their lineup that if they wanted to go out and make a move at the deadline to get someone uh, another big name uh, they've got some pieces that they could move and and get you know get a big name into their lineup and so if if they get hot I the Braves you know the, I think the Phillies are are the team that could chase them down but uh, if the Braves keep playing like they are right now you know I think that they're they can still keep you know control of this division yeah I think that um, it's a tough deal here because I think that the Mets and Phillies were clearly the two biggest threats coming into the year and yet they're the teams that are seven and a half, eight games out right now. The Marlins are three out, winners of six straight. So it's it's hard to look at, at them. You know, we're starting to get to the point of the year where we've played enough baseball to start to learn things. Now, again, the Braves last year went about 40 or 50 games into it before they even looked like any sort of themselves. And we know a couple of years before that, the Nationals had a year in which they were were not very good in the first half of the year at all and turned it on in the second half as a wild card team, won the World Series. So, again, you've still got to be careful because there's still about 100 games left. There's a lot of time, and, and, and this can be made up, and at least these teams could, could earn a wild card spot even if the Braves can, can take off and end up winning 95, 96 games. To me, they all have problems of stars underperforming. Uh, meaning the Mets and Phillies, not uh, not the Marlins. You look at Philadelphia, and obviously Harper was out for a while, but Kyle Schwarber's hitting like 175, and I know he's hit 15 or 16 home runs, but I'm gonna say, but look at those home run numbers. But, but he's not doing anything else other than home hitting homers and striking out. Uh, he he's had a rough time of it. Trey Turner's been disappointing this year. Uh, he was awesome. In the World Baseball Classic, he was tremendous for the United States. But he has not found it this year in Major League Baseball. He's hitting in the 240s or 250s, uh, and he's a 300 hitter. He is not a power guy that all of a sudden hit 250 and hit 40 and runs. He is a, a contact speed guy that ha- also has some power. So he's been disappointing. When you look at the Mets, their disappointment, I think, is both hitting and pitching because this team was incredibly talented. 
I don't know if it's the most talented in baseball. I think it could have been argued that it's the most talented in the National League, or at least it's, it's it, well, <laughs> by money, it's the most expensive in baseball by far. So take that for what you will and how you grade it out. But it's an incredibly expensive roster. And what the Mets might be realizing is, and and we'll see. I mean, I'm not going to – I'm going to say this. Verlander's going to go seven shutout innings tonight. But it's possible that Verlander and Scherzer are just getting a little old now. Verlander's 40. That is not young in any form or fashion in, in professional sports. Max Scherzer is 38. He'll be 39 by the time the year is over. And, again, he is, his ERA is up in the high threes. Verlander's, uh, he did not start the year healthy, so he's only had six starts, but his ERA is in the low fours. That's not the best version of themselves at all. I mean, it's not even close. And it's just possible that at this point, finally, at age 38 for Scherzer and 40 for Verlander, they're just finally starting to, to decline a little bit. It's nothing to be ashamed of. They've had very long primes. In fact, for the style of pitcher they've been throwing hard with hard-breaking stuff, it's lasted a long time. I mean, Verlander's velocity's been great, even up to age 40. And Scherzer's velocity's been great, even up to age 38. But it's just possible that they're just losing a little bit right now. And then offensively, I told you Lindor's hit like 215. And Lindor was one of the best players in the league in Cleveland and, and coming over to New York. And he's got some pop still, but 215 for Francisco Lindor is awful. It's just awful. Uh, Alonzo, for all the home runs, he's hit, hitting the 230s. So their lineup is not as hunky-dory as you would think. And really the only issue when I look at Miami is that Sandy Alcantara's not pitched well. And he's pitched a little better as of late, but Alcantara's ERA is around five. I mean, he's not been particularly good at all. But that's really all that's not happening right for the Marlins. And I just told you multiple players for both the Phillies and Mets are not going right. It's not too late to save it. Again, 60 games is a lot. It's a chunk. But, again, to dumb it back down to other sports, it's like you had, I don't know, uh, you had maybe five or six bad games in the NFL. So you would be starting to move on maybe some in, in various depth charts, but it's five or six games. Uh, in, in basketball, it would be about a 25- or 30-game sample size of the season. So it's not past the point of no return for these teams, but it is getting a little nervous, and especially some of these individuals. Now, again, the flip side of it, if you want to argue for Philly, you want to argue for New York, is that there's a lot of room to grow historically for those guys. There's a lot of room for Trey Turner to be a whole lot better. There's a lot of room for Kyle Schwarber to, I don't know, hit above the Mendoza line. There's a lot of room, if you're the Mets, for Lindor to act like Lindor and for Verlander and Scherzer to find a big second half. But it, it is just concerning for various reasons that these have been trends for these guys. Like, Schwarber has always struck out a lot. And for the Mets, Verlander and Scherzer are not getting younger. So these are things that it might just have finally turn for them. Like, Schwarber's now finally just striking out a little too much. Uh, and Trey Turner maybe got a little too amped <laughs> during the World Baseball Classic. And now for the match, Verlander and Scherzer are just a little too old. Uh, it's possible that that has turned. And so I've said all those problems to say I've surprised myself because when I, when I started this segment, I was going to go Mets, which is still the most biggest threat. But I am going to go Marlins, because not because I think Luis R.I. is going to hit 400 all year, but because they've not had – the big problems those teams have had, but they've also not had, other than RIs, shockingly amazing performances. I was kind of running through their list. Garrett Cooper uh, at Auburn, six or seven home runs. Uh, Jorge Soler has been their their best power bat. He's the only guy with double-digit home runs for them. He does have 17. He's got a lot of them. 
But he's hit 240, and that's not like you can't keep that up all year. He can keep that up. And he had a 40 home run season in Kansas City before he was a Brave, so I know he can keep up the home run pace too. So the things that Miami are doing to me feel repeatable. They feel like they can last throughout the year. Whereas the things for the Mets and the Phillies, although they are down, and although you would say, well, there's room to improve, there is, those things are starting to become a little more terminal to me at this point. And especially if the Mets are going to end up getting an unhealthy version of Alonzo for a period of time, or the, the Mets, they look like they're going to get the normal Bryce Harper, but what if, they, what if the power's not there for whatever reason as he goes through the rest of this rehab as just a DH and that sort of thing? Uh, it, it just feels like the Marlins can repeat this, whereas the Mets and Phillies have issues that are pretty loud right now going on. So, look, the Braves are still in a great position because they themselves will tell you they've got a couple guys that are maybe playing a little bit below their expected level. A game will play at some point this summer, so we're going to go through the whole lineup and we're going to tell you if they're below, above, or even with expectations. It's going to be a new game we have, and and – you know, I can tell you that the Braves have a good mix of both, and that's a pretty good place to be in because it tells you that there are room, there is room to improve, uh, and that they're not solely relying on all-world performances. Um, let's change the part of this conversation now to the Braves before we take our final time out of the show. Acuna's been tremendous. He has not got the full nature of his power back. His home runs are incredibly long, but they're not as plentiful as a couple of Acuna's early years. But he's still high 20s, low 30s pace. So it's not like it's it's noticeably bad or, or noticeably off, I should say. But he's hitting around 330. He's stealing millions of bases. Um, <laughs> All of them. All of the bases. How excited do you get watching him play at this point? And is he the clear front runner in your mind for NL MVP right now? I... I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, I think you look at, I mean, just, just what all he can do. He's an incredible defensive player as a corner outfielder. Uh, he's batting three thirty, and he's got really good power too. Like you said, he's not he's not on a forty home run pace. But if you ask me, would I rather have a guy hit forty home runs but he hits two forty, or to rather have a guy who hits three thirty but he only hits about twenty five or thirty home runs? Probably taking the guy who hits three thirty because you don't need to hit home runs to do damage. You, you can. my friend, just compared Chipper and Andrew Jones. Congratulations. Okay, awesome. Chipper was yeah. the 320 guy that hit 30, and Andrew's the guy that did slug 40 but hit the lower average. And look, I love Andrew Jones. You yeah, and I, no, you, I wasn't, we, that wasn't we think that We both think that he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I'd take Chipper Jones 10 times out of 10. Uh, and look, if look at us. We're comparing this kid to Chipper Jones, right? Like, that's how special this guy is. Ronald Acuna is one of the best players in baseball right now. Uh, and you better hope he can keep that up because right now he's the center point of your franchise. And if he, if he sacrifices seven or eight home runs to have a significantly higher average, I'll take that. It's extremely exciting to watch Ronald Acuna, especially one one uh, aspect of Ronald Acuna's game that I think has really been amplified this year that's exciting to watch is um, the base stealing. And especially when because you've got the the new disengage rule where you can only throw over twice, and he's really taking advantage of it. Um, you know, it, he he's de- he, you know he's he's keying in on, on pitchers that want to look over at him or that are like I just you know I, I don't want to throw over two times in a row. Uh, and I, I think it was the very first game of the year he got on base. They threw over twice. He immediately stole the next ba- the, yep. the, the, the yep. his first time on base. He stole it, and so. 
he's he's fun to watch. You know, you saw a slide last night where he slid past the bag and caught it with his back foot. Uh, that was the funniest. Like, I don't even know how to put that into a, a category. That was a funny, funny slide. He's got personality, man, and, and it, it comes across in his play. And so it, it's 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 so fun to watch him. He he just he play he as he he self described. I like to play baseball, and so <laughs> it's it, he's so fun to watch. Um, I I can't wait. I hope he gets the you know he gets back to that Ronald Acuna we saw uh, before the injury, where he gets that the the plentifulness of home runs back. But I'll tell you what, if if he can if he doesn't, but you can see keep seeing him hit these home runs to you know. Uh, Jacksonville, um, <laughs> it's it'll be worth it. I think. I yeah, I was about to. I was you, gonna, you, you go ahead. Brant showed me a graphic the other day. Um, baseball, you know, people uh, that know uh, baseball history and, and and you know know old ballparks. You remember the Polo Grounds, how the that was configured. Only one of his home runs would not have been a home run in the Polo Grounds. Yeah, that's how long he's been. That's how far he hits his home runs. For, only, and, I think and, it's. I th- it's 280 down either lines, but to straightaway right. center is like 450. And yeah. like all it's a, of it's, it's very weirdly constructed. It's shaped like a football field. All but one of them, because it was home to the giant New York Giants. Yeah, it was a football. Yeah, field too. It was, yeah. was okay. It was yeah, the New York go. Giants football there played there. But so all of them except for one wouldn't would have been a home run in the Polo Grounds, and that one was still like a wall scraper. It was like yeah. still huh. right there next to the wall, dead center field. Yeah, he's hit some tanks this year. Again, that that's what shows me the power's in there. And, and to Brand's point, I wholeheartedly agree with Brand. Last year, my quell was that it was not a three twenty average, you know, and it was even less power than it was this year. I mean, it was uh, fuzzy memory, but low double digit home runs and hitting about two seventy or something. It was just like yeah. not Ronald at all. It was it was really not much element to him at all. And you could tell that when he tried to go full speed in the outfield or on the bases, like there's just a little hitch in the giddy up, just a little. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't trust it. Maybe it felt a little off. There's just something there. Yeah, that, I mean, they they said it over and over. They told him to kind of take it easy. Like, don't go full speed unless you absolutely have to. So, seeing him healthy, running the way he is, uh, it's been it's been great. Now, what's uh, last thing here? Uh, I, I so I think the three MVPs or the three leading candidates for MVP right now. Are Ronald Cunha Jr., Luis Arise, who, I mean, again, Miami is in a, a wild card position. And, um, him and Soler are the main cogs in that lineup. So that's part of it. I think the guy that plays first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers could also be in the, the conversation, too, hitting about 330 with, with double digit home runs this year. Really good player. But, but I think Acuna is, is leading the way right now. The interesting thing with the running, and I love it. I, I talked about this yesterday or the day before that, that, I, I, you can appreciate the things that we missed about baseball, but not think that that's all that matters. Like I'm not trying to be like, oh, baseball was just better back in the day when we bunted five times a game. Well, I'm not. I don't have to be all the way there. But what I do like is running because running used to put the the fear of God into me sometimes when these fast base runs were just walk. Like that walk, that walk felt instantly regrettable because that speedster was going to be on second or third base no matter what the other hitters did. You just gave up a double essentially. Um, and so seeing Ronald run to this degree has been so fun. He's up to 28 steals on the year. The weird thing is I expected this to be an up-and-down-the-line occurrence, but if you look at the Braves' stolen base tallies, Really not anyone else is running. Michael Harris has five steals. To be fair, he's not been on base a lot. 
Uh, but even Ozzy Albies only has like two steals this year. And Ozzy's a guy that definitely strikes me as being capable of 20 to 30 steals, uh, especially in this new MLB where we're running again. So it's been a little surprising to see just the juxtaposition of everyone else kind of staying at their normal numbers. And Ronald's just like, all right, what if I was going to be Ricky Henderson? And I know Ricky <laughs> stole 100, 100 bases a few times, so it's still not going to be to that degree. But what if I did lead the league in steals? Or what if I did hit, uh, have a 30 60 season, which is what some people are talking about? Because he's, again, 28 steals. He's well on his way to 60 steals, and he's about at 11, 12 home runs right now. So around 30 home run pace, maybe a little short. There, it could be a fascinating year if he stays healthy all the way through. He does continue to hit some homers, runs at this rate. There's gonna be this like this this weird first where it's like <laughs> there's a weird amount of home runs to steals here that is something you would have seen out of Ricky Henderson or something like that. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me is that a lot of his steals have come stealing third. I yeah. used to be very anti-stealing third. Oh but really? I I'm I'm not a fan of it. I feel like it's a little too risky. I feel like you don't. You, I, I, you, I feel like it's, you, you know what I mean? You, you get what I'm saying. I think saying. there's situations you don't do it, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, he's made it work. He's made it work at a, at a rate that's almost as good as his stealing second. So uh, he's he's changing the way I look at the game, at least. They, they've always talked about not, like, not making the last out at third right. and, and stuff like that. The one thing some base runners will tell you is it's actually better, it's easier to get a good jump. Because the way pitchers move to the plate, it's a, it's a much different move to go to second than the first. And that some great base runners actually get a better jump off second. Now, the throw's shorter for the catcher, so that's right. the give and take there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he has stolen th- he's stolen all the bases. Let, I want to <laughs> see him still home at some point. How about we try that, that frantic play? That would be a lot of fun. That guy for uh, Garcia... Uh, for the Astros, that has to take like five years to wind up. Yeah. If he tried to do that against uh, Cody at third. He'd go from first to there. third in that one. <laughs> We're going to take our final time out of the show back with the nightly TV guide to wrap it up right after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, Roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Final couple minutes of Sports Call right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brandt Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here. Fun show today. We've talked a lot of different things. If you missed any of it, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. But we are down to our last couple of minutes, so time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. No NBA for Brooks to ignore tonight. That's what right. else we got? Uh, well, there's a lot of other sports that I that are being ignored tonight because there's not a lot on. 
there's just I'm, I'm not I'm not it's gonna sound like I'm ignoring things but there's not a lot on tonight so we'll start in the movie world only two movie picks for you tonight though 6.30 on FXM, I'm going to give you The Greatest Showman, starring... Uh, Hugh Jackman. There, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman and um, High School Musical guy. What's uh, his name? Zach Efron. Yep, I almost said Zach Galifianakis, but that uh, was very well. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis in Greatest Showman would have been great. I got very interested in that movie, and then when I found out what the musical, I swore I'd never watch it. It's, oh, it's, it's a fine it's, movie. It's good. It's The music is good. The movie is okay. Yeah, same. Hugh, that, listening to Hugh Jackman sing is always a treat. Uh, and then... The other movie pick for you tonight, if you want a taste of Christmas here in June, 7 o'clock on Stars Encore, Home Alone is on tonight. Check out, check out some Home Alone action for you. Some Macaulay the, Culkin. Yeah, some Christmas action. Is, if is you want. Pesci in the first one? He's in both he's of in them. He's in both of them, yeah. Oh, he's in both of them. Joe That's Pesci. Right. All right, I just, didn't they make a Home Alone 3 with an entirely say, different cast that was bad? Probably. I was going to say, I, I'll watch it for Joe Pesci, but then I should just actually watch one of the really, really... You know, you Joe know, Pesci movies. Joe Pesci movies, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now your sports picks for this evening. Out uh, 6.30 on ESPN, the Women's College World Series may or may not wrap up tonight. Probably going to wrap up tonight. Oklahoma one win away from being crowned back-to-back champions. 52 wins in a row. Florida State has to uh, beat them twice to win a national title. That's really, really uphill battle. 7 o'clock on TBS, TNT, True TV. They're all over the the Turner broadcast. It's Stanley Cup Final Game 3, Vegas Golden Knights in control with two games up as they shift the series to Florida. Will they go three games up or will Florida grab one back? Tune in tonight to find out. Then at 9 o'clock on ESPN, the Professional Fighters League is back with uh, Lufnane, Lunane versus Pine. So some some, some uh, fighting action tonight. I don't know who either of those people are. And then, of course, the Atlanta Braves in action at 620 on Valley Sports South. Spencer Strider takes the mound for the Braves against Justin Verlander. And if you watch Valley Sports South, you get Chipper Jones, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox. No, not Greg Maddox. John Smoltz. John Smoltz and... Jeff Francoeur, all in the same booth together. No play-by-play, man. It's just those four in there talking I about for three hours. cannot wait. It's and that's what awesome. the TV guy brought to our friends at White Claw Heart Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Yep. We'll see you again tomorrow, sir. See you then. And thank you very much, Brant, for being on today. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for having me. And that will do it for the show today. As always, we thank all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Brant Daughtry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.